Hi, I'm Tom Scholey, co-writer and artist of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe and creator of American Barbarian, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Perfect. That was that was good. Harmless. No, was come on. It was bit. it was good. Flu talking. Yeah. He's all, all he's, fucked up. He's got the thing. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. Thanks for holding that in. I'm gonna go on mute. Uh, I'm gonna go on mute uh, after we do our little our little early ritual here. He's like Phoebe with the cold. There we go. <laughs> Very topical. <laughs> hey Why man, we try. <laughs> <laughs> Like TV in the news recently? I didn't know that one. They took friends off Netflix. Yes, they did. Oh, I see. That's yeah. the most the most recent news. I like how Tony sounds like he's embedded. He is. Yeah. Wait, do I need to do I need to fix it? No, you're good. Mm-hmm. You sound very, very good. Okay. Amazing how clear you are from all the way over from Punjab. <laughs> Bombs over Baghdad. Hey everybody, look at this. It's another one of these things we call 11 o'clock comics. This time around, it's episode 648, and I'm Vince B. Oh, you are Vince B. So close to 650. I am David A. Price. It's very, very true. And I am back from the dead. I'm Harold Ramis. Oh. Wow. (laughs) Where do you go from there? Introduce our guest. You're not Harold Ramis. You're Jason Wood, everybody. And we have a guest. Not really a guest. We we have a family member that decided to stop on by again. Um, we put the sign up. He ignored it. <laughs> so he's here. Uh, you've heard him here many times. Uh, what, about a month ago? Month? Uh, November. November. Yeah, two months ago. Okay. 21st. I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah. I'm cool. Tony Fleece, everybody. Yeah, well, he just... He took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Uh, penciler, writer, comic book maker extraordinaire, Tony Fleece, everybody. An insane amount of uh, positive feedback when Tony's on the show. Yes. Well, not well, to give him a big head or anything. Well, we're not stupid. I mean, I'm going to take that pressure and turn it into podcast gold. I love it. Make sure you talk about the art because apparently we don't do that enough. Oh, no. I'm ready to talk about that. <laughs> well, if I had to time it, I thought it would have happened a little bit later, but I knew he was going to say it. <laughs> I knew it. Did you? So you have me on tonight as an artist more than a writer, so that I can talk just about like art type stuff, pencils, exactly right. nibs. Yeah. Oh, talking about mm-hmm. hunt one hundred twos. Definitely Let's nibs. Go. Yeah. Okay. No, we're having you on because nips. we're going to have to talk about nips, not nibs. We love sure. you. That's why. <laughs> I like to use a nib, a nib to draw a nip sometimes. I didn't think you drew. I didn't think your your employer let you draw nips on my little pony. Yeah, I can oh. draw nips on my own time. Uh, dude, you still drawing those uh, those mermaids for the dude, or is that? <laughs> I still get into some mermaids from time to time. We set up a new mermaid the other day. Uh, at, uh, there still holidays available. Uh, this one's not going to be a holiday. Oh. Uh, uh, I don't want to get into it, but it's going to be oh. a very involved, oh. uh, pretty big deal commission. I think I'm, I'm pretty excited. You'll see it when it comes right. out. Nice, not for anything, but I think a, a pony with nips would be hot. Well, I'm going to forget you ever said that. Uh, <laughs> a white it has to be a white pony with, with nips well, you mean like a last unicorn type no no unicorns ponies like with long like a long mane some nips and a pink ass 
know that I don't sign off on any of this kind of talk <laughs> at all. Oh, and if you want to sign off on massive discounts, you know where to go. Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get your books, get them fast, and get them shipped right to your door. Everybody, on your knees and genuflect, uh, because the list of specials is up. And they are plenty. I've selected three of, uh, I think, some of the really, really good stuff. First up, from Rebellion, it's the best of 2000 AD, number one, 100 pages of comics, including a self-contained 48-page Judge Dredd adventure. You have Alan Moore... Dan Abnett, John Wagner, a brand new spanking cover by Jamie McKelvey. Mm-hmm. You cannot say no to this. Colin McNeil's nice. in here. 100 pages. The cover price on this is four ninety nine for 100 pages. Mm-hmm. It is the first of 12 issues. But mm-hmm. you can have this glorious reprinting of some amazing Zarjaz art and story for a lousy two dollars and seventy four cents. Goddamn. This should be on everyone's order form. As should my next one. From Ad House, another one of our booze. Matthew Allison is finally releasing the Kank or graphic novel. Yes. yes, sir. It says a young man makes a rare excursion outside the comfort of his home to see a rock and roll show. <clears throat> Yes, that choice is met with violence and humiliation. Sounds like my bedroom. When he calls out for help to his unresponsive savior, the sad sack cowboy Cankor, or cowboy, cyborg Cankor, it sets off a cherry bomb of psychedelic mayhem, a candy-colored nightmare of tangled wires, bubbling flesh, and towering corpses of superhumans. The cover price on this thing is nineteen ninety-five. Uh-uh. It's not what you're going to pay. You can have it for $13.97. No-brainer, right? Last but not least, from our buddies at Nobrow, it's Gamma Yun Tales, graphic novel, volume one, written and drawn by Alexander Utkin. And here's the pitch. It says to enter a world of magic and adventure in this stunning series based on traditional Russian folklore. Don't hold that against it. Alexander Utkin's Gamayun tales are fresh and modern ad- adaptations of familiar Slavic folk tales, teamed with bold and beautiful illustrations, jam-packed with stories of magical quests and talking animals, golden chests that turn into places, oh, palaces, and encounters with terrifying water spirits. Hmm. There's no end to the adventure in these books. Fans of fantasy and mythology will love these collected works. I saw the cover and I said, I gots to have this. I didn't even see any of the interior art. Looked at the cover and I said, it will be mine. Uh, cover price is nineteen ninety five. You can have it. Bring it home for a lousy $13.97. DCBService.com does not mind late orders, order editions, and you get your books shipped right to your front door. There's nothing e- nothing easier. Going to the bathroom is far ho- harder than ordering from DCBService.com. You get that right. Yep. It depends on how much vegetables you eat. Vegetables? <laughs> That's the whole... The, I've been getting involved with fitness lately. I know Jason has too. But vegetables really is the whole ball game when it comes down to going to the bathroom. That's like if you, yeah, have, if you have any regular. trouble, yeah, get some celery in your life, some broccoli. It's incredible. I love mm-hmm. broccoli. Yes. Yeah. I but, feel like they don't really advertise that enough. 
No, you don't think so? People don't like vegetables, but they don't, like, you know, if you tell them what the deal is, I feel like they would really get on board more. I'm 40 years old. Nobody told me until I was, like, 39. Mm. I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. I I could eat, like, quickrete, and I would never have a problem going to the bathroom. God bless. Yeah. I'm not sure I can buy into that nobody told you vegetables are good for you. <laughs> I mean, they told me they were good for me. They just didn't tell me about the movement part of it. The, <laughs> hey, eat know. this. Okay. It'll help you poop. Why fiber is... comes in vegetables. <laughs> fiber does this. You know, like they say mm-hmm. vegetables have fiber. They say you need fiber. I guess I just never put one and two together. Okay. You get three. One and yep. So there you go. DCBService.com. <laughs> With Speaking follow- of Matthew Allison. Yes. I wanted to uh, say it's very cool that he has joined up with an art rep, and it's one of the good ones. Yeah. Uh, he has joined up with uh, the guys at uh, Inky, I-N-K-Y, Knuckles.com. Um, some of you may know uh, them as uh, they, they Cam was uh, originally um, partners in uh, Modern Mythology comic art, another rep. And uh, now he's got his own little deal. Inky Knuckles, it's uh, Dylan Burnett and Adam Gorham and Kevin Castanero and uh, Matt Lesniewski, um Owen Marin, our boy Eric Zawadzki. And now they've added Matthew Allison. So it's very cool. So you can check out all of uh, the canker art will be available, I believe, soon on InkyKnuckles.com. Is there something else related to um Well, I was going to leave that to you, but I was going to say we're not. And we have yet more Matthew Allison news to share. Yes. Why don't you tell them? I do not have the flu. Why don't you tell them? Oh, my goodness. Well, Gosh. as you uh, may know, if you're a regular visitor of our Facebook page and uh, other things, we have solicited, as we do every year, a uh, a contest on who will get the coveted album art for the year. And uh, we got a lot of good, good, good um, entries. And we deliberated and we gauged the reaction uh, from the online peoples and the uh, patrons. And uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, the winners are two. One for the main album art and one for the patron-supported bonus episodes. Yes. Yes. So uh, the main album art, uh, the winner, is Mr. Matthew Allison. Whoop, whoop. Yes. And the <laughs> uh, co-winner, I don't want to call him runner-up because that's not fair or true. The co-winner is um, Mr. Jay Gonzo. Is going going to be uh, gracing uh, the patron episodes with his beautiful submission. So, yes. uh, congratulations to both of these fools for a um, of heavy hitters. Yeah, yes. for taking the time to uh, not only make art for us, but uh, be interested in us enough to make art. So these guys are great, and you'll be seeing their work ASAP. Yes, meaning on this episode. So awesome. there you go. Yeah, they are heavy hitters, and, as are you, that, Mr. Fleece. I was going to say, that, thank you to everybody who submitted, because it's always very humbling that uh, any of you would take any time at all to try and uh, create a logo for us just uh, out of the kindness of your heart and yeah. for 
a chance at a little bit of exposure, but it uh, it is always very thoughtful. And I thought uh, this is a really strong year. I thought a lot of the submissions were great. I would have been happy to have quite a few of them as our logo. Um, so yeah. I always feel bad that that uh, we can only have we used to only have one winner, and now we can have two. But it still makes me feel sad that we haven't that we aren't able to. Uh, Feature the others, because there were quite a few good ones. Well, before you close that door, there is a way we can feature the other ones. We provide our patrons with a bonus Patreon-only episode once a month. So there's 12 extra album arts that we can uh, we can feature these people. Oh, that's true. Yep. If they agree to it. If you pr- if you produced a, an image and, and you would like to see it on, on one of the patron uh, bonus episodes, let us know and we will make it happen. But what I wanted to say was Tony's a heavy hitter. And uh, speaking just for myself, if we received album art featuring a white pony with pink nipples and a pink <laughs> ass, I mean, we would not be saying the name Matthew Allison and Jay Gonzo. Let me tell you. Vince, if ever there was a week for me to not be a heavy hitter, it is this week. We got uh, numbers back on on my beloved Time Shopper, and they Ooh. are disastrous. Oh, Just, no. <laughs> holy shit. Full-on disaster. Uh, meaning? Yeah. Meaning the... Uh, uh, are we going to get a notice from DCBS saying that it's been canceled? No, no, no. It's coming out. Oh, for sure. Okay. Uh, but the aphrodisiac bump that I was expecting, uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> the Jason Wood kiss. Well, to be fair, aphrodisiac was already out. Existed. We, we gave it yes. a, yes. Then he could just go get it when it's up. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. It, comics will keep you humble. This is a week where that's happening for sure. Uh, my first comic uh, in my lifetime I did in 20, uh, 2006. And uh, I put I it out it. through a small publisher. Thank you. Uh, and I called a bunch of stores. I basically did a lot of the same stuff I did this time, and it sold more than <laughs> the one after. Oh, I wow. Yeah. Woof. It's wow. been wild. Uh, but the good news, bad news, good news, is that uh, we ran into also a printing hiccup because of China and tariffs and whatnot. Uh, so we got a little bit of extra time. Uh, it's going to be late, but we're going to have time. I mean, it's going to be late, but there's not that many people looking for it. Uh, so we're going to have time to sort of try yeah. and sell some more and get some more, uh, get some more stuff out there. Yeah. Not that many people looking for it yet. Exactly. So we're going to print a bunch. Uh, we're going to have obviously extras for reorders and stuff like that, but whew, it's been a, <laughs> it's been a humbling week for mm-hmm. sure. But I come here to be honest. I don't, uh, I was, you know. yeah, I was just going to say you're, you're like disturbingly honest. <laughs> I would tell you the exact number, <laughs> no. But uh, I don't think that's necessary. Suffice Who, it to say, uh, depressing. Well, as if I didn't already have a a boatload of respect for you, it just increased. Well, thank you, Ben. Yeah. I mean, nice. on the other hand, it's not like I'm just sitting like that's not the only thing I had going on. You know, like I'm sitting here working on uh, uh, for hire book that's going to be the highest profile thing I think I probably ever do. I mean, uh, uh, to to this point. And then, you know, I'm working on that other creator-owned thing that's going to be, hopefully, I mean, hopefully it'll sell more than this one did. But, you know. Well, we'll do all we can to help you out on that. You guys are the best. We'll even tip back an alcoholic beverage. Oh, let's talk about that. Yes. Uh, Sorry. Jason, um, why don't you go first, and then we'll bring it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, as people can hear, I'm, I'm legit sick. I got a fever. 
got a bad cough, so uh, I am uh, drinking hot tea, and uh, I have water with lemon to back that up. So, my man, I yeah. tuck in, but I'm nowhere near you. I got a warm, bl- I got a heated blanket on me right now. My lap, nice. Yeah, it's nice. Cool. Um, well, I have one, two, three, three different things I'm drinking from Cigar City Brewing. I'm drinking the Florida Cracker which is a Belgian-style white ale brewed with coriander and orange peel. And I'm going to follow that up with Gumball Head, uh, Three Floyds. It's a wheat beer. And last but not least, it's all the way over here, from Green Flash Brewing Company, I'm drinking the absolutely delicious West Coast IPA. Man, oh, man. Yeah. I like to mix it up. Like I said, lots of stuff. Settling in for a long night, sounds like. Well, I plan to have fun. One of them's kicked already. I kicked one waiting for your ass. Sorry. That's <laughs> well, you only had you only had time for one. I like to pace myself. Uh, that's good. That's yeah. good. So, Tony. You're drinking, Tony. Yeah. Oh, I'm having, uh, same as last time, I've got a little Basil Hayden's and some Keurig coffee. Uh, I'm going to have a couple of those, and then I'm going to switch to just coffee and keep working tonight. My wife's going out of town, so I'm going to switch into hardcore work mode for the weekend. Nice. Well, not nice that she's going away, but nice that you're going to be working. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's not like I normally don't go into hardcore work mode, but I feel no guilt uh, when she's not at the house without me. You know. Right. This way I can feel guilt-free. Yeah. And you keep... um guesting on our show and i'll be comfortable enough to start making uncomfortable remarks about your wife <laughs> i think you've gotten uncomfortable enough already yeah okay but she appreciates it of course yeah. beautiful woman yeah thank you dap what's up um i i honestly seriously thought about um just having some seltzer tonight um but i couldn't um, I drank a lot earlier in the week, so I wasn't trying to keep up with any sort of pace. But um, once I knew that um, Jason wasn't feeling all that hot, we were grabbing Tony. Um, I forgot about the Basil Hayden's last time, so I didn't grab any bourbon. Instead, I'm having a glass of uh, Casiero del Diablo Cabernet Sauvignon from Chile, um, from uh, Concha y Toro. And I will finish this glass, and then I will probably move on to the seltzer. Wow. A bunch of lightweights. I'm drinking bourbon. That's true. Thank you. Yeah. yeah okay. Jason's sick. I mean, what do you expect us to do here? It can't be a party every week. Well, Jason's going to go first and tell us in great detail what he's been <laughs> reading. <laughs> All the detail. Are you like? Is this the thing you're going to prompt me into talking on a night when I, I <laughs> said, "Hey, why don't we get a, a fourth in the chair?" Because well, if you just said the title, if you liked it, and then you could just go on mute, <laughs> interject when we say something interesting. Or, well, you have <clears throat> I'm going to give thanks and talk about not one but two books, including one that has yet to hit the stands because I got it like that. You, you all know, you listeners that are up to date on the show, know that we are uh, big fans of No Brow. Our buddy Tony Esmond now works with them. And uh, I got a little care package 
in the mail this week, and in it were two graphic novels, um, volumes one and two of a new series by Nobrow called Stig and Tilde. Um, they are created, written, and drawn by Max de Radigue. It's R-A-D-I-G-U-E-S. Uh, I presume he's French or Belgium. Yeah, I think he's Belgium. Um, but uh, Volume 1 is called Vanisher's Island and came out a few months ago. Volume 2 is actually hitting the stands in February, and it is called Leader of the Pack. And they are young adult graphic novels. Uh, I believe there's a third coming out. And they had me because on the back of the of the volumes are uh, a pull quote, and the pull quote is by none other than Lorena Alvarez of Nightlight's fame. And she says, Stig and Tilde is a delightful coming-of-age story told with humor and charm. Every page brings an evocative surprise that warmly depicts the unexpected territory of growing up. Um, the premise is pretty simple. Uh, twin 14-year-old Stig, who is uh, a boy, and Tilde, who is a girl, are they're twins, and they are they just turned fourteen, and it's annual. Tra- it's a it's a tradition in the town that they lived in that uh, any any child that turns fourteen has a coming of age where they head off and go and find an island and live on an island by themselves for a year. Now, being in modern times, this tradition has been, shall we say, tamed or bastardized. So it's really basically spring break now. Kids at 14 head off to an island together and live in the lap of luxury in basically an unsupervised summer camp for a month and then come home. But uh, for Stig and Tilde, as they're heading off into their uh, month-long bacchanal with all their friends, their boat gets uh, gaffled and they end up uh, almost drowning and they wash ashore on an island that is not the island they were intended to be on. And this island is is far more like the traditional where they have to survive. And the first volume is about this. It's called Vanisher's Island. And they are, uh, they think they're alone at first, but then they're presented with the fact that there's another boy on the Island named none other than Arnie as in a R N E shout out to Arnie Shonchuk. Um, is he sleeveless? He is sleeveless. Interestingly enough. Wow. Uh, and, and he's an absolute dick. Uh, so your mileage may vary, but, uh, but Arnie keeps getting tilde to, step away from her brother and go on little adventures and go hunting. And let's just say he grows very attached to Tilde and he doesn't want her to leave because all the while they're working on repairing their boat. And you come to find out that, uh, Arnie's not what he seems. Let's put it that way. Hmm. And, uh, and the first volume is, is them dealing with, uh, Arnie and his insistence that they not leave the Island. But, uh, but then we pick up in volume two, which is hitting the stands in a few weeks and they have, they have left that Island, but they end up on another Island. And, uh, and this time the Island is, uh, bereft with wild wolves and they have to figure out a way to survive on this Island with wolves. And they in fact do, and they find, they, they figure out how to survive because they come across an abode that has been lived in for quite a long time and there is a connection between the person that lives on this island and themselves and the happenstances of Arnie on the prior island. It all ties in very neatly together. So uh, it's, it's basically a coming-of-age adventure. Very much quick reads, very enjoyable. Um, artistically speaking, it has a 
a children's storybook vibe to it. Nice. Relatively simple figure work. Um, I would say that uh, it, in a way, the 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 the, the, the human characters look a little bit like the characters you, if you're familiar with Adventure Time, you know, little dot dot eyes. You know, again, relatively simple anatomy in line, but uh, but not exaggerated all that much. Um, the backgrounds vary between just a lot of the backgrounds are just straight um, solid color no background and then occasionally there'll be some kind of, 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 of background where it serves the story purpose. But, but uh, yeah, in general it's, 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 um, it's efficient, clean art that looks like it's uh, it could have be in a Sunday strip. Um, but obviously it's put together in a graphic novel form and uh, it's got heart and I really like the twists. There's a couple big twists I'm trying to be vague about, but uh, it definitely feels after reading the two volumes, you can see the, the underlying narrative, and, and I'm curious to see then, based on the uh, continuity that was within the first and the second, what happens with the third. But, uh, yeah, two thumbs up. It's just, you know, No Brow has got this incredible track record right now of putting out books that are just, and it's not like they have one aesthetic, right? I mean, they, they these are these are pure young adult books. They've got that Hilda series, which is on Netflix, which is a children's series. They've got, obviously, stuff that's uh, far more adult-based and, and pulls the heartstrings. They've got the esoteric stuff. I mean, I just think that they, they, they just have an incredible eye right now uh, from an editorial perspective. They're curating a line that uh, I think in terms of quality and breadth is, uh, is nearly unmatched for among, among the small press publishers. So I have to agree with you. Yeah, yeah you can really trust great. them. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I just I – because, just, again, I mean, I'm not tech necessarily a – I'm not the market for these young adult books, but but uh, a good story is a good story. So right. I'm I, looking at it on uh, on Google Image right now, and it's interesting. The like the original publishing, uh, they look a lot more European, like just the cover art. You know, like it almost looks like tin tinny, right? Uh, and then sort of looking what Nobrow did to sort of uh, to bring it over here and sort of make it books like bookstore ready. You know, the design of it. It's interesting mm-hmm. just seeing seeing what they did. That fascinates me. The little yeah. su- subtle additions or subtractions or tweaks that one has to make to um, sell it over this side of the water. It's like Parasite. Like I, one would wonder why it just doesn't sell on its own as is. But yeah. there are, I mean, the, you know. The art almost looks a little bit like Richard Smalley kind of. Oh, neat. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, also, I should, Tony brings up a good point. That the, the production of these volumes is terrific. They're soft cover. They're square bound soft cover, but um, the and the the front covers. There's no dust jacket. The front covers are all image. But the cool thing is that the uh, the the creator's name, the book's title, the no brow, and then the main characters are all raised spot varnish. Ooh, and then everything else is matte. It ain't cheap. No, no. And then like with the second one, leader of the pack, Stig and Tildy are spot varnish, and then. Below the Stig and Tildy is a scene of the two of them being crowded by a bunch of wolves. They're spot varnished and the wolves are not. And then above the title is a scene where there uh, is a woman walking along a waterfall with a bunch of wolves as her companions. And up there, the little wolves are all spot varnished. So it's beautifully produced. Wow. Very, very well produced. Every embellishment. And there's spot varnish on the back, too, by the way, of each of the books. Sweet. 
Yeah. Every embellishment is another trip to the printer. Is that right? Whether it's embossed or debossed, got to go to the printer. Spot varnish, back to the printer. Mm -hmm. um, a fifth color, like maybe a fluorescent, back to the printer. So mm -hmm. it's it's people just think, wow, this is neat. You know, they have uh, a, a book in their hands and they look at the paper and it's like it's cool, you know. But they don't understand the the toil that goes into putting these things together. And yeah. it's it's very much appreciated, mostly by people who know. But mm -hmm. I, I'm sure that shiny things attract the average uh, customer too. So it's yeah. all good. But what I was going to say is, I guess the the best testament to a publisher that I can give is. If I'm going through the, the previews catalog and I stop at your solicitation, you're, as far as I'm concerned, you're doing something right. Because as I go through the previews month after month, there's a ton of stuff that I would never even – I mean, if it's not a parody book, it's a, a, a an attempt at a superhero universe or um, – there's a lot of, of detritus in the previews catalog – in my estimation. So like magnetic, I stop. Um, mm -hmm. No brow, definitely. Fanographics, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So drawn and quarterly, yeah. drawn and quarterly every time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. So I just checked on Amazon. Um, the Vanishers Island was released in September. And then um, Leader of the Pack will be out. You can pre-order it, but it will be out on February 4th. But also, they're charging thirteen ninety five for both for each, and that's the cover price. So, do YA books not have to get discounted, or are they that is it because they're that popular? I don't know. It's but very... anyway, yeah. So it's thirteen ninety five cover price, which is a pretty good deal, I think. And it doesn't look like you're going to get it much discount. What's it and, about one hundred twenty eight pages? Uh, you know, I don't know if there's a page count, but yeah, I'd say so. Let's see. No, 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 no. Okay, no, no, no. Nope. It's about that's about it in total so far. It's about sixty pages each. Oh well, still a little European graphic volume there. Yeah, nice little uh, tasty bite, a little morsel. Mm -hmm. Cool. It looks like the uh, the original language. It looks like there's a at least another volume, if not two other ones. Yeah. Well, on the um, uh, I was saying before we recorded that uh, these are no brow books. But they're listed, if you look them up online, they're listed under Penguin Random House. And that's actually the package I got was from Random House. So I don't know what Nobra has some kind of, I don't know if they have a U.S. physical publishing deal with. I don't know what their connection is with with uh, Random House. But clearly, these books are associated with both Nobra and Random House. And so if you go to penguinrandomhouse.com, that's where you'll find the official solicits for these. And there's another book coming soon called Stig and Tilde, The Loser Squad. So I assume it's a three, I'm guessing it's a three volume series. Yeah, it looks like the original was called Le Club de Losers, which I would <laughs> guess would be like The Losers Club, but I bet they changed that because it hit. I bet you're right. Yeah. I really like this art a lot. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it looks like there's a lot of panels per page, too. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah, absolutely. Sweet. I would guess uh, Random House is just a distribution thing. IDW has the same deal with them. Do they? Okay. Yeah. So they, like, for all their collections and graphic novels and stuff, they publish through Random House to get bookstore distribution. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I'm in for this. Yeah. All right. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Cool. And it does have a little tin tin air to it. I think it was Tony that said that. Yeah. That is. It does. Familiar. 
Never read any Tintin, so I can't oh, I know the shut visually. Your I know what you're mouth. talking about, but I've never. You read need Tintin. to. Well, you, you know, know what? If you me either. Oh, stop! There you go. I just it know what it looks be like. A book of the month. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, let's do it. We'll have Tony on too. <laughs> Why right, not? There you go. Works for me. I got a little bit of an echo. Anybody hear that? No. Not All right. Who wants to go next? Because we got a lot of cov- uh, comics to cover here. Uh, I'll do one. Yeah. I got a pretty good one. First, though, I want to just uh, congratulate Vince on having two great recommendations uh, in the Ooh. time since I've been here. That Kill Lock uh, by Livio Ramondelli was great. Yes. Uh, and I'm friends with Livio, and even being friends with him, I was like, I'll check it out at some point. But then when I heard you talking about it, I was like, really? That's what it is? So I, I stopped the the podcast and read it immediately and then continued listening to the podcast. Uh, and then I like that teether a lot, too. Uh, nice, Tony. From Antarctic Press, right? Yeah. Only 99 cents on Comixology. Pretty good deal. Um, and the artwork's super cool, although strangely uneven. That's right. That's what I said. Some like, pa- like it, I, some panels are exquisitely rendered, and then other ones, it looks like a gesture drawing. And as the issues go on, it, it looks like it gets even faster and faster. And uh, like The first one's in almost full color, and then issue three is just like mostly black and white with color highlights and sketchier right and they come out at like the first one came out in 2017 right yes i did i failed to mention that but i i don't know if it's a band-aid but i'm gonna call it and say that it's intentional because the story's ramping up lily's getting crazed and she's biting faces off and so the more the looser more gestural drawings are intentional to speed up the pace of the narrative it's probably right nowhere near the truth but it works for me (laughs) All right, so my book uh, is one that I've been clocking for a while. I knew it was coming, and I was excited about it, uh, but I'm even more impressed with it than uh, than when I was looking for it. Like, uh, I knew it was going to be cool, and it's cooler than I expected. Um, it's Jack Kirby's Dingbat Love from Tomorrow's Publishing. <laughs> Did we talk about this already? No, but I can't wait to hear you talk about it. Just say Dingbat oh. one more time for me. Dingbat Love. <laughs> Thank you. Well, of course... Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the Dingbats of Danger Street from First Issue Special, right? Obviously. Uh, Can I just interject one second? Yes. That comic, that very comic that you're talking about, the Dingbats of Danger Street, DC has a First Issue Special collection currently solicited in the previews. You get them all. All 13 First Issue Specials, Dingbats of Danger Street, Atlas, uh, Warlord, all of those. It's a hardcover our sponsor, DCBService.com, can let you have it for nineteen ninety nine. That's half oh, price. That's real tempting. Yes. Um, Sorry. So what this thing is, is it's sort of like, obviously, if you're a Kirby fan, number one. But two, if you're a fan of like uh, like film reconstruction or where, like uh, restoration, you know, where they find like a reel of Metropolis that they didn't know existed and they go and they clean it up and they turn it into something. That's sort of what this is. Uh, it's these... 1970s era Jack Kirby, uh, like uh, like more realistic comics. Uh, True Life Divorce is one of the series. Soul Love, like a like Jack Kirby did like a black comic, uh, and Dingbat's a Danger Street. Uh, he did them all for DC. It's when he was at DC uh, around the same time as like Spirit World and uh, In the Days of the Mob. He was trying out all these different sort of like magazine format comics. And these are three that he did uh, that 
were almost completely abandoned, except Dingbats, of course, had that one issue come out in First Issue Project. But it was done to be like, you know, obviously it was done to be a series. And uh, he just kept sketching away on it, and they canceled the series uh, after he had three issues done, and then they only printed the first one. So this uh, reprints, like it, it puts together and reprints the second two issues of that that haven't been anywhere before. Um, and then it does a pretty good job of uh, restoring and representing uh, all of True Life Divorce and all of Soul Love, which some of them were just in pencils and they had to get them inked. Um, and and some of them they had to track down pages because, you know, like if you read Jack Kirby Collector, there's all these uh, photo stats that they have from the Kirby family. Uh, that they'll present as like pencils to go along with, you know, the the printed stuff. You know, like they can do almost like a, uh, like a shitty looking artist edition, right? Where right. it's like photocopies of pencils instead of the actual scans of the pencils. Um, and so they have a lot of that in here. But they actually got Mike Royer to come and uh, put inks down on a story um, for Soul Love, and they got Alex Ross to come and paint a cover for like what the soul love cover would have been. Cause they were like, they have sketches from Jack that they were going to do uh, like a photo or a painting style cover. And he did like a layout for it. And then they just never, you know, they never made the magazine. So they never went through and did it. So they got Alex Ross to come in and do what that would have been. It's just super cool. Yeah. Um, I'm going through and reading it and you know, it's like to read it is fine, but just to like, you can just pour over the pages. Cause it's, you know, Jack doing romance stuff later in his career which you know he did a bunch of it earlier but there's not too much of it after he sort of became jack you know well kirby created the romance comic that's what i'm saying yeah but like he did that like prior to marvel right and and so he he came back here in the 70s when he's sort of like full kirby and he does it again here which is interesting you know it's like seeing somebody do a thing at the at the height of their powers versus sort of when they're when they're putting it all together still right and it's so offbeat. These stories are just strange. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um I mean, you know, just I, like throwing shit at the wall, right? Like Yeah. Just like who like who in their right mind was just like, you know, who should put together like a black magazine? Jack Kirby. Let's see what he has to say about the about the black experience in the <laughs> Well, I mean, Kirby's my god, and I have to admit, there was a period when Jack was trying a little too much, right? I mean, uh, late career, um, some of the books are just, they're a little too, they're, they're more weird than weird. They're just outright strange. And I love them, but when you take and you compare the, the late period stuff to the, the prime time, Jack Kirby, King of the Universe stuff, I mean, you know, uh, some of the stuff you have to just take it. What, it, what to you is, is, is prime era? For me? Commandy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But this is around the same time, right? Right, but I'm talking about the stuff that came out even later than, than oh, like, the, uh, Ca- like Captain, like Captain Victory. Captain yeah. Captain or Captain Victory. Yeah. yeah, stuff. And and then there's a couple of things after that. And he was doing stuff with Mike Thibodeau. Um, mm-hmm. That's just really, really weird. But the, the king, you know, everybody's in his shadow. So, yeah, he's not completely perfect, but close enough for me. Yeah, no, but anyway, this book is super, super cool. If you got that, uh, uh, what's the ghost one called? Ghost World. No, 
Ghost World is Ghost World. Oh, Spirit. Um, Spirit World. Spirit World, yeah. Yeah, Spirit World and In the Days of the Mob. Right. The, the hardcovers that DC put out a couple years ago. This sort of uh, goes right next to them, as far as I'm concerned, uh, in sort of rounding out the 1970s Jack Kirby magazine uh, projects. You know, like these interesting attempts, these weird swings that he made. And it's just cool to see him draw, you know, different kind of stuff. Yeah. I would have loved to see Kirby do a an all-out, like, softcore porn comic. <laughs> like, just take the romance one step further? Yeah. And just, you know, I could do whatever I want. I'm Jack Kirby. Um, maybe hook up with Wally Wood, because Wally's wit's end, there was some rough stuff in that. And yeah. I, I would have loved to see Jack just, like, let it all hang out just once to see just how over the edge Kirby could get. Yeah. I would have liked to see him do more uh, autobio stuff. That's the stuff that I'm most interested in. I'm psyched yeah. about this Tom Scholey thing. Cause I feel like that'll be, you know, as close as we're going to get. Yeah. It's such a stunner though, to, to that Scholey would embark on a, you know, a biography of Kirby. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Into it though. I hope there's lots of people getting into fights in that, Tom Scholey book. So that's my favorite Kirby shit is when he would just talk about running around getting in fights with people. Yeah. He was a He-Man. Yeah. Cool. Uh, did you have anything else in this little segment? or? I mean, on that subject, that's all I got. To Jack oh. Kirby's Dingbat Love. Tomorrow's publishing. There's a hardcover and a softcover. I got the hardcover. Recommend it. Wait, there's a hardcover? That's the one I got. Damn it. I'm sorry, buddy. How did I not know there's a hardcover? It might have been like a direct market or like a straight to shops only or something. I don't know how they do. Because it's like you said, the the spirit world and the days of the mob, those are hardcover. And then you got the dingbat thing next to it that is on my shelf anyway, is uh, softcover. Now, have you read through the thing yet or have you just uh, been browsing at it? I started it, but as you know, I, I can't read this whole thing at once. Right. Yeah. Oh, it should also be said that it's besides the comics. There's a lot of uh, like behind the scenes uh, information. There's like uh, articles from Mark Evanier, and uh, I think uh, that dude Mike Thibodeau also. Um, so there, like a lot of the people that were around at the time sort of give context for what happened to these things, uh, why they didn't come out, or what was going on when he was making them. Um, and I guess they're all still owned by DC because they always say. Uh, copyright dc comics yeah. so dc must have made some sort of deal like we're never going to do anything with this stuff so go right ahead right do you think kirby's the most documented comic book artist has to be right yeah i'm, I'm trying to think of of who would would be number two alan well, I mean, moore yeah i mean i guess as far as like books about like uh, scholarly works right yeah. that type of thing but also, like, Kirby has the most work to talk about right. as well. You know, like, you could ten, 10 guys could write 10 different books about 10 different eras and not have any crossover. Yeah. And, and as proved by this book, like, there's just a bunch that didn't even come out. Like, everybody I know has, like, a book or a project or a short story that never came out. Like, I've got, like, two or three. Uh, but, you know, this guy just has, like, I'm sure reams and piles of stuff that, like, halfway started. And, you know. Yeah. The guy was a... A real machine. I don't need to tell you about it. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Nicely done, Tony. Oh, thank you. 
keep it rolling, Dap. Don't slow us down. Never, boo. Um, That's two. You just keep getting them. Jason should um, get sick more often. Oh, st- no, I didn't say that. <laughs> He's going to come off mute. Just That's hurtful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm going to. Um, I was telling you this, Vince, last week before um, we we're going to get. I want to try this year. Like even though I have stacked things from the past few months that I've just been, you know, regime. It, it's. Um, I don't want to just keep adding to it. So if something comes out, I want to try to read it. No, I'm not caught up on Wade's previous. Doctor Strange volume twenty odd issues right here. Yeah, just a little uh, information. You're breaking up a little bit, so just keep an eye on it. Yeah. Oh, you'll have to tell me because I can't tell. Okay. But I read the first issue, Strange Surgeon Supreme. So get on that. It it it. It's the next chapter in Wade's run. But. First of all, looks absolutely amazing. Uh, art by Kev Walker. Um, he, he looks absolutely fantastic. But 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 what's great about this issue is that um, Strange as um, he he has the use of his hands back, and he is um, he's alternating his time between surgeon. Uh, because he has that gift and being source supreme. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't mix the two, doesn't deal with any magic in the operating room because everything has a price and he can't, you, you can't use magic in an operating room because you don't know if if that price is going to be paid by patient. So he's got to just keep everything, um, above board. But he's uh, he's tirelessly working on uh, burning the candle on both ends. Um, but but Walker's drawing all these the, these and 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 demonic looking things that, that that are going throughout the hospital. It just is a person who comes in with a brain tumor, um, and the, uh, the the look on his face about just you know acting strange. How how bad is it? And if there's anything that can be done. And, and and he's um he's got so little time left and you know why are they wasting time going to see a surgeon when he was told that nothing done a surgeon can't fix this he can't be operated on and and strange is like well you know i mean with all he was just you know he can he could take care of this and um but the, the first issue is basically just kind of setting up his new um his, his new life, and he, uh, like I said, he, he between hospital work, whether that's administrative or or, or um, actually practicing medicine, um, and also making sure that um, he does what he's supposed to do. Uh, sort of supreme. But what's great is that, and and Jason might actually, Jason's probably the only one who would know who this is, but um, there's a. Uh, the head of um, of the hospital is in his office before he gets 
and she um she still has a few questions about um well, the hospital's getting a new dean, and um, she wants to make sure that there's not going to be any new and, and, and it's between Strange and the new boss. Um, and and Steve, why are you asking me? And um, well, he said he's an old friend, or is a, a doctor, Anthony Ludgate. And Strange is like, well, that's that's weird because Anthony Ludgate is dead, and so that. All hell breaks loose in the emergency room. Apparently, some shit's happening down at the Hudson Yards, and that's where um, Becker shows up, um, wreaking havoc. And and uh, the the issue ends on on a bit of a cliff, but um, the record seems to be a bit more enhanced and uh, and kind of sort of makes short work of Strange. But like I said, the the, the art was. Absolutely fantastic from the first page to the last in this issue, and and I don't, um, you know, it's it's based on the solicit with Strange Academy this month. Did this this particular chapter is be very long, but um, I, I think if this is where Wade is telling his, if this is how Wade's Doctor Strange story is ending, um, it looks like it's probably going to uh, on a pretty nifty note. But yeah, I uh, if if people were on the fence. We're gonna feel about this. I um I, I I think I recommend it. I I didn't like this at all, and I know some people weren't sure where it was going, but I, I think it's the natural progression of what uh, of what Wade started. Um, he he makes it work because it could be it could be a very dull, boring story about you know some dude at a hospital, but it's it's not it. It's the way everything comes together for the character. Some um, I. I trust Wade, and I really like what he's doing with this. Sweet. I just really like how it looks. Um, but Dr. Anthony Gate is Dr. Druid, for anybody who um, cared. But, uh, the character that never seems to go away. Oh, my God. At right? least not for too just... long. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you if you polled a million comic book fans, who's your favorite character at Marvel? Not one of them would say Dr. Druid. Not a one. I mean, when he was in Avengers, I was like, they get another butler? What's going on? <laughs> but anyway, anyway. That, it, I bet it, there's somebody out there that's got like a Dr. Druid fetish. Like somebody has like a, some <laughs> Dr. Druid slash fiction for sure. <laughs> Listen, that was a golden era of Avengers comics. <laughs> oh, Yoga okay. Mesh, Rage. Oh, it was the shit. That was uh, Jamba Seam and Tom Palmer, wasn't it? Damn straight. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Rogers turn. I own a page. Sweet, sweet. All right, I brought uh, EOC questions along with me, and I feel like oh, shit. Uh, we could... Uh, not to run the show here, but we could just drop them in between reviews, and that'll that'll we can get through them all that way. I only have, I have one for each of you. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm gonna do Wood first since he's sick, just in case he gets too sick to continue. Okay. Or die. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, Jesus. Heaven forbid. Uh, in a recent episode, you said there's a million things I'd do if I didn't have to work. Uh, so what are your top three? Like things that you would just do if you didn't have anything else to do. Well, I would, uh, I would, st- I would st- study marine biology. Okay. 
I would get swole. <laughs> like I'd work out like four hours a day, like like Hollywood actor style. Like a Marvel movie. Yeah, exactly. All right. I'd have that unveil like uh, like uh, Tobey Maguire and Spider Man. People were like, "Oh shit, look, he's swole." Uh, and then um, and then I would just uh, I would I would be an angel investor in uh, in startups. Oh, interesting. So you like seek things out. Yeah, I would just stuff yeah, present just, to you like uh, like mm-hmm. Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. That would be fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I would I'm, love to see this wall one. Oh, me too. That's my favorite. Ugh, you and me both. Hold on, I'm going to move on to my next one too, just because it's presenting itself. Vince, are you concerned that your simmering beef with Jason will one day break up the whole team, and you'll have to shut down this podcast? Never, never, because. Um, peek behind the curtain. The simmering beef is an illusion. I'm going to tell you, the Christmas season was very uncomfortable from us on the outside. I think David, too, thought that maybe Mommy and Daddy were fighting a little too much. It, uh, it uh, doesn't exist. Anytime he would talk about the Peloton, anytime he would talk about any of his uh, wealthy people things, uh, <laughs> there, there, was, <laughs> there, was a, there was like a palpable <laughs> Vince-shaped anger hole in the episode. Huh. Well, I, I guess I pl- I play it pretty well. Run about fun time, Jason, and how much you missed him. Wow, I do yeah, miss no, I, I do miss I mean, fun time, Jason. Yeah, yeah. No, don't worry. This, this isn't this isn't Neesman Redux. Don't worry. No, no. The um, Listen, for the record, no. You, it's it's just an act. For the record, there's no one on this planet that I love more than these two guys. Uh-huh. Oh, so it, it's just that I, I when I say I'm locked in for the duration, I'm locked in for the duration. Yeah, we're it's, we're here as long as y'all want us to be here. Jason, you're saying you didn't pick up any of this? I know you did because you'd be like, bro, like yeah. I could tell you'd be hurt. Oh no, but that's all part of the act. All right, and you guys are just such nuanced actors. I had no we're idea. Thespians. It's, it's, <laughs> couldn't okay. be farther from the truth. No, it's 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 Very all on, it's on air. It's on our shtick. In fact, I just, I don't know if you keep up on the Twitter, I just threw Jason a bone today. I did. I did, because I wanted to bitch him out and say, dude, there's better ways to spend your time. But I didn't, because he cares. And I, and who who am I to stand between him and his caring? Now, you Jay, heard. If you didn't have a flu, would you be making like a, a, a public uh, statement on, on this week's weird Twitter issue? Or do you think you covered it on Twitter? Oh no! I mean, no. Listen, it, it, there's not. D- Dap is the one who generally mans our official uh, eleven o'clock comics Twitter account. But um, I don't know if I happened to see him retweet it or. Oh no, he posted it to us as a sort of. How about this guy? Yes. And some some guy just. Uh, pres- pre- well, he must be a listener, I guess, of some kind. Or at one point, yeah, yeah, said something to the effect of. Uh, of, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have any open, but but tweeted something effective like, you know, the eleven o'clock comic guys make it. I feel like they make a New Year's resolution every year to focus more on the art, and they they fail at it every year miserably or something. Yeah, I don't yeah, know what show. Weekend, and, and we, yeah. yeah, and 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 I I juxtapose that against two one star iTunes reviews we got in the last few months that we were laughing about and. While I don't necessarily agree with the one-star reviews, I did think both of them had a kernel of truth to them in the sense that the things they claim they don't like about us are generally accurate. 
which is to say we are an acquired taste, right? I mean, we are not, uh, we don't put ourselves out to be some perfect podcast. I don't know that there is such a thing. And, and we're not always, an interview. Yeah, we, we we've, you know, we've always, yeah, we've always maintained that, I mean, for good or for bad, the, the success of the show has been almost uh, accidental in the sense that we've always just said we're going to do the show we want to do. And it's a it's a it's a minor miracle that, that a lot a lot of people like to listen to us. But but it's you know, we if you if you want to be critical of us and say something like, I don't like that they ramble, I don't like that they go for so long, I don't like how long winded they are. What there's a million things you could nitpick about the show, and I would say, Yeah, that's fair. It's probably not the show for you. But when dude went on the socials to say that we don't talk about the art, I mean, I just think that's like patently like objectively, analytically false. It's not in any way an accurate portrayal of things. I mean, again, we are we have plenty of things you could find fault in us for, but but uh, not being art centric is 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 I think an inexcusable criticism. Right. Yeah, so I just re- I, I so, so I felt compelled to respond to it, <laughs> and uh, and I just left it at that. But 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 you know I guess because it is social media and uh, we do have our our our, our crew our EOC acolytes. Uh, you know, a bunch of people piled on, and I wasn't looking for the guy to get trolled. I, I should have actually made a point of saying like, "Don't at the guy." But a lot of people added the guy and said you're full of shit and stuff. Which I again, I, I'm not. I wasn't trying to put this particular guy like, like ruin his day. I was just trying right. to say like, I don't agree with the criticism. Yeah, you're like uh, Nicki Minaj. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, so I just I, that was all. I mean, there really wasn't much to it. I, I wasn't really fired. Like I, I wasn't. I. It was more of just a, you know. Be, feel feel free to 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 um, criticize where it's warranted, and there's plenty of reasons you can criticize us. But but uh, you know, but but just that that just seems silly to me because I think like if when I think about the show and and one of the underlying kernels of the show is just our unbridled passion for the art. I think that is, I mean, in in all ways, right? Just just the craft of the art, the 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 artist as as the heavier more important part of the collaborative team of creating the comic, the collection of the art, uh, you know, the adoration of the, the art. I mean, it's just, it's such a huge part of, of, of why we are into comics at all. It's just, it just seemed really surprising to me to, yeah. And it, it also reminded me that like, it's just such a weird world because you can, the world, I mean, I just, it's no matter what, what we're talking about, anything that can be seen or looked at, or or listened to, or smelled, or tasted, it can be and likely will be interpreted in a million different ways that make no sense to you when you interpret it. Exactly. My my wife likes to say perception is everything, mm-hmm. and it just goes to show you how full of shit she is. Because <laughs> per, number one, perception is variable. The only person concerned with the perception is the perceiver. The thing that you should be saying is the truth is everything. What is the truth? Truth is not perception. Because mm-hmm. truth is not variable. Truth doesn't shift and change in accord to those looking at it. Truth is the truth, right? So, I mean, I'm a big proponent of perception because that's all we have. But you have to take a step back and, and try and put the subjective to the side and objectively look at the truth. What is the reality of this situation? And the fact that this person said that, you know, we don't talk much about the art, that is not the truth. But I guess it is based on his perception, which is not everything. It's weird, but, uh, 
Yeah, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. So, Tony, uh, I had prepared a tweet in response to Jason's list of original art convention-going do's and don'ts, but I I didn't send it. Uh, It it was only one item. Snarky? um, No, it was the truth. Uh, based on, you know, it was the truth. And, um, it was, and it's, it's, it's usable in every situation. Um, my golden nugget to answer that person would be figure it out yourself, fuckhead. <laughs> so there you go. That in a nutshell shows you the difference between Jason and myself. I got, uh, f- felt some real guilt reading the Jason thread because I definitely owe some people some commissions right now. And I <laughs> fucking don't want to do them. Like, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. I do want to do them. Like, I'm excited about drawing the things, and that's not just me doing the whatever shtick, but like, I dream of getting to a place where I could just make comics and not have to do all the ancillary stuff, too, you know? Just because it's like, I'll be, I'll get into a groove. I'm working on, like, right now I'm working on two comics, like, doing layouts and doing covers and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, I stop and draw this one one off thing that just goes to a place. I, I know I'm, I'm preaching to whatever the opposite of a choir is here uh, because you're like big commission heads, but like. Not me. Do you, do you prefer an original page too? Yes. He's, yeah. He prefers not to part with his money. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if I were to part with my money, I would, I would much rather have an original page than a commission. Sure. Commissions mean nothing to me. I would much rather sell an original page because it's already finished. Right. And you got paid uh, for nice. it. Yeah. Twice. But um, well, so yeah. here, Tony, here's a hypothetical situation for you. Say all this sweat and toil you're putting into these books pays off and the the fleece, no, the the fleece snowball is rolling and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You would actually leave money on the table if somebody wanted to throw a grand at you for a commission? That's the dream, yeah. I mean, people do that all the time. There's guys, you know, uh, Latour goes to shows. He doesn't do commissions and he's in the, you know, He's at his peak. Yeah, Latour doesn't do anything. Uh, he doesn't. I was going to say, I, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not. Sometimes I wonder if Latour's on eating the government cheese. And Seriously. I money. <laughs> he gets Spider Gwen. He money. puts three books out a year. I, I mean, that's yeah, weird. That's, he's in a communist. No, I mean, I, you know, I love Jason on a personal yeah. level and as a creator, and I think is. But I, I have to tell you, as the business guy around here, I, I, I've often <laughs> You're thought, doing like, math on this. like how, how's Jason paying his bills? Like, <laughs> Like we get like two issues of Southern Bastards a year, he does like two or three Marvel one shots that he writes, yeah. and, and that's about it, right? So yeah. like, I guess it's pretty cheap to live down in the Carolinas, but but yeah. do, doesn't Scotty still do commissions? He does. Yeah, he does. Scott, I, I Scotty's think, fat. Like he does that weird thing though, where he like it's not like a big money commission that he's going to take time on. I mean, he well, takes time on him, but he does them right at the table. He doesn't that's, go. That's not, he doesn't yeah. take him back to the room. That type of thing. So Scotty's recently, as we all I think know, left Felix. But but uh, before he left Felix, he did take a commission list, like a, a high end commission list, and he's working through that now. I just actually did a few of them, but uh, but that's a rarity. And and I I won't, I don't know if it's okay for me to say how much he charged, but it was qu- quite a, an amount of money. Like I, I think what it comes down to is you you get to a point where you you charge enough. For commission, such that it's worth you being annoyed that you have to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, right. It's it's too much money. You, it's too much money, such that you sit there and go, "Well, fuck! It's ridiculous for me not to do this." It's fuck me money. Yeah, basically is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I recently inquired about a commission 
of someone that I have multiple pieces from already and was quoted a price back of $3,000. And I thought, good for them. (laughs) No, but I mean that like, like good for them and, and good for me that I got art from them way before they were at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know that it'll happen, but it is just like a, that's just like goals, you know, like I have in my head, like, you know, squad goals. Yeah. Yeah. So people, the people that that go to a show and are sit there during the day and do their thing, and then you know can sell some artwork, do some sketches at the table, and then you know get to go out to dinner and then go to sleep at a normal hour. Well, that's that's what I'm looking for. As you know, Tony, I, I I could give you a running list of any type of artist art artist alley. Like if you were to say, all right, give me the artists who can just sit around and don't draw ever. I can give you a list of twenty people. Yeah. Like if you say, give me the guys who are going to grind out 30 commissions because they need to make the skrill, I can tell you. But, you know, you're talking about people like Joel Jones, Russell Dalberman, Trad Moore, James Heron. Like, they, they just chill. They just sit around. Yeah. yeah they're just up. living their life. Sean I, Murphy never, ever draws at cons. <laughs> I draw at the table. I draw, like, you know, uh, head sketches and stuff like that, like quick stuff. And then I'll end up taking bigger ones, uh, like a list of, of larger commissions, and then I'll take those back to the room, and usually by the time I get to the room, because I'll go out to dinner first or something, but usually by the time I get back to the room, I'll be so ruined that I'll just go to sleep, and then I'll end up waking up at like 2 or 3 in the morning, and then just ba- like banging through those, and then running all the rest of the day until the next, you know, like, th- then the cycle repeats itself. Right. So it's just, and then the older I get, the slower I get, for some reason. You know, like, I don't know if it's, it's like, you know, the like if I'm losing it or if I'm getting better or what, but you know, yeah. I used to be able to do like 10 and now I'll be able to do like five. And so it's just, well, like, here's, here's the thing. I mean, I guess we, we, our listeners are probably wondering where this is coming from. Uh, the, when Tony asked about the Twitter thing, I thought he was talking about the, the, uh, the chirp the guy made about us not talking about art, but well, I was talking to, about both. Okay. But yes, but today I, I took it upon myself to, uh, to offer a little, friendly advice to the original art community as we enter con season because having been at this game for a minute and looked at it from a lot of angles i think there are some things that art reps and artists don't do that they should do sometimes not i mean some artists are great i mean tony i mean i know you're busting on yourself right now but i've always had an amazing experience with you both at the show and pre-show you've always been a very, very extremely professional now, maybe it's because you just know me personally and you would feel guilty. And yeah, Something to do with it, yes. <laughs> Which is you funny because, like, whereas, like, Scotty is just the opposite. He will not ever take a commission from a friend because he's like, I know I'll just, because you're my friend, I just won't get around to it. And I'll think, yeah. like, well, it's not a big deal. Um, yeah, so I just put some rules out. I said, uh, I said uh, if an artist hasn't finished prior commission list, don't, if you're an art rep, don't allow them to take a new list. Like, that's crazy. There is a very well-known artist who just took and filled in about an hour a 10-slot pre-show commission list, prepaid for C2E2. And I know for a fact, because I was part of it, this same artist took a 10-spot pre-show commission for New York Comic Con, had zero of them done pre-show, got two of the 10 done at the show, and has done exactly zero of the remaining eight. And yet his rep just solicited another ten pieces for multi-thousands of dollars from people 
So what does that mean for the New York Comic Con people? Are they just in the ether? Are they going to get theirs before the C2E? So are the C2E people definitely not getting theirs for six months? Like, that's just, that's unprofessional. You know, like, if you look at, like, Felix, that, that would never happen, right? Felix will take a list for his artist, and if it takes two years for that artist to finish the list, you will not hear in a peep about any kind of commission list from that guy. Because he's got work to do, you know? And then another nitpick of mine, and I think it's a major deal, is if I'm if we're entering a contract and I'm going to pay you for a pre-show commission, Tony, you know you're an artist. Pre-show commissions, I'm always told by every artist buddy I have that pre-shows are generally of a much higher quality than at the show because you don't have to rush. You're not talking to people. You're not picking it up, putting it down. You can take your time. When you have a creative idea for composition, you can go ahead and do it. Yet, I can't tell you how many times artists or the reps do pre-show, get that money, sometimes months in advance, and then don't have the piece done before the show. And inherently, even if they do it at the show, it's more than likely not going to be as nice and detailed as if we're pre-show. And that's that's to say nothing of taking pre-show and then not doing the piece at the show at all. That is a deal. Like I, that's an instant at me asking for a refund. Like I, that's, that's totally unacceptable. Like, I I think that's absolutely completely unacceptable. Um, and then I said, the other thing I said was that, uh, we have a friend who paid for a pre-show piece. The piece wasn't done during the con, even though it was a pre-show, it was Sunday of the show at the end of the show. Hey, your piece still isn't ready. He said, that's okay. Uh, you know, that's fine. Like if they'll ship it to me, I, I trust you to ship it to me. His rep said, yeah, that's great. That'll be $30. I'm sorry, if you're a rep and you take pre-show and your artist doesn't finish the piece by the end of that convention that you paid for pre-show, don't fucking charge the commissioner for shipping of that piece. That's on you and the artist to figure out. You had an agreement. You didn't fulfill the agreement. Ship the piece to the dude and not make him pay for it. Like, that's just basic business, in my opinion. Yep. Right? Yep. And then, you know, the other things were things like, if you're a rep, remember, you know, you represent both sides. You're, you're not just the advocate for the artist, and you're also not just there to serve the customer. You have to be the balance between the two. You have to make that process smooth, or otherwise, what's your point, right? Like like a middleman is only worth something if they if they streamline or de-stress the situation, and, and so they should make sure that they're both. And then... You know, another thing was like artists be honest with us. You know, we're not stupid. If if we see you at the hotel bar at the Westin at one in the morning every night, don't tell me on Sunday. Oh, I haven't been able to get to your commission because I'm swamped with deadlines. Nah, dude, you were doing shots at one in the morning. Like, just like be honest. Sorry, I partied with my friends. I hadn't seen them in a few months. That's my bad. Do you want your money back or can I send it to you? Like, just be honest. Like, we're not idiots. So nothing's more insulting than being lied to, right? Um, another point is that commissions are paid work. It drives me up a wall when I'm told that my commission isn't going to be done because you have a paying job to do. I, again, I paid you for a job. And the, the, the thing that's really infuriating about that is that generally speaking, most guys that get commissions are also huge fans of the artist and comics in general. So if you say to us, Hey, I just landed this gig and I need to put commissions on the back burner so I can do this gig. Like 99% of the time, we're going to be like, that's cool, dude. Congratulations on the gig. 
let me know when you're ready to do my commission. So like, as long as you don't take an attitude, like somehow commission work is not the same as paid work, then like, it's all good. Again, just be like adult about it. Right. Um, and then the biggest thing, and this is one that I think so many of your brethren are guilty of is don't fucking go into hiding. I can't believe how many collector buddies I have that say they have pieces outstanding for like years and they just stopped hearing from the artists. And like, I can't fathom that. I can't fathom that as the collector and having not gotten your money back. And I can't fathom that as an artist that you have such little professional integrity that you just run and hide. Like, again, just keep communication open. Like if, if, if times are tough, if family situations are difficult, if whatever, and you need time, like just say so. Like most collectors would be, Oh, I get it. That's cool. Like I'm shocked at how many collectors will willingly let a piece be outstanding for years because they want the piece so badly. That's not how I roll, but like my point is like collectors are generally fairly understandable if they're not if if you're not if you're not fucking around with them, you know. So, <laughs> but well, I'm a little red. Yeah, literally that's... emailing somebody right now. You've shamed me. Nice. There we go. Good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. There you go, Jonah. Sent. Not bad for somebody who wasn't going to talk. Can I get a, a shot at this? Maybe. <laughs> you got See, We are gonna. The show's gonna end any week now. Jeez. So much vitriol. <laughs> well, let, hold on. Let me uh, just for a moment on the commission thing. Like oh, good. the the deal of. I'm sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> the deal about paid work. I definitely uh, I see where you're coming from, and I definitely see where artists are coming from too, because it is this sort of weird thing where uh, people take on commissions because they need to connect, they need to make ends meet, or they need to you know, drum up some extra money for whatever X, Y, or Z. Uh, and, but it is outside of their regular deadline work. So, you know, like when I'm doing a book, I know exactly when it's due. And I know if I don't turn it in, I don't get, you know, like my actual living goes away. Right. Like if I stop, you know, if I just didn't turn in this issue of ponies I'm working on, they would just not hire me again. And then I would have to, you know, get a job at a Wendy's or something. <laughs> uh, but, but within the case of commissions, there's not that same uh, downside, except for the, you know, like the absolute worst case scenario where it's just like this guy's a scumbag. He rips people off, you know, like uh, <laughs> he steals people's artwork, you know, like that's the worst. And then you know, then nobody commissions you, or only the you know, you get like very low end commissions, and you're just sort of working for scraps. But it is like this thing where you. Uh, it's like having a part-time job that you only go to, like drive an Uber or something, you know, like you only go there when you need to. And, and then so that you don't put it on the same level, uh, that you do your regular work. And I think you're right that it's, it's paid work. It's account the same, but I just don't know how to make myself, make my brain do it. You know? Well, I, I mean, I know that I don't parlay in the original art like Jason and, and David, but in my opinion, a contract's a contract, whether – regardless of the result. Like on the pony books, if you don't do the page, you don't get paid, you're at Wendy's. That's just an unfortunate byproduct of you not completing that page. You, you entered into a contract with IDW to provide a page times 20 or 22, whatever. When you're at a con and you take a commission, that's a contract. Yeah. Right. No, I, so, I agree. No, I'm not. I'm not saying pointing fingers at you. I'm just saying that in both instances, a contract is made. 
the the results of the contract of the broken contract are irrelevant. The fact is you broke that contract. Yeah, well there's a big difference though, I think, right, which is that if you get a job for boom as an artist and you don't deliver the pages, you don't get paid. If you you know, if you but the problem is at conventions, paid most artists get paid up front. Right. But and I mean, these days and these days because conventions and art are so popular, it's even different than that. You're you're you, I am prepaying full freight months in advance of the con. So I'm already out that money for several months. I can't even do like a PayPal refund because the time has passed. So that's I think coming to your point, Tony, that's really honestly, I think that's the main reason why artists are lax a day is cool with commissions. Because you already got the money. The money's yeah. in hand. So yeah. you're 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 wrestling with not lack of cash flow. You're wrestling with um, with uh, some me- measure of guilt. And bluntly, most commissioners either don't have the chutzpah or the reach or the wherewithal to make uh, make the lack of receiving their product a problem. I mean, I I I make it a problem. Yeah. Like I I I'll go on the show. I'll put people on blast. I will. I'm well connected enough in in the circuit now. Where I will say this dude's an asshole. Like I'll, I'll so I, I think there are certain collectors that can very much make 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 a problem for someone who doesn't deliver. But most commit most people getting commissions are not like that. Like they might have they might save up and get one or two commissions a year. So you know there it, it's a super disappointing outcome for them. But like it's not going to really affect you professionally if yeah. you don't deliver on a commission. And I think most artists know that and they take advantage of that, even if it's subconscious. They do. Well, I get to the point too where I'll uh, I'll go extra hard. The longer it goes, you know, it's like it, it compounds on itself because it'll be like, oh, this has been like six months. I got to really kill it on this thing, and then so then it ends up taking me longer because I'll just either it'll be the pressure of doing it or actually spending longer on something. It's just uh, it's, it's just like keeps getting worse and worse. It snowballs on itself. Yeah, uh, I well, just did one. Uh, I don't know if I showed it to you guys. It, I don't know if I had it in New York. A commission that I took at New York two years ago, and I had to get it done right before we spoke last time in November. I went to England, and the person who it was for lived over there, so I was just going to ship it from over there because, you know, save a fortune on shipping. Uh, But it was like this giant piece, uh, like 16 characters, and very specific. Like, he wanted them all. I'm not going to say what he wanted them as, but, like, Let's say, for instance, he wanted like the Teen Titans, and he wanted them all as you know frogs, is something like that, which is like this big wild piece. And then he art directed like I want him to be doing this, I want him to all be go karting or whatever, you know. Uh, and this one's in front, and this wearing this color. A lot of you know, like people get very specific with their art direction. Uh, and this one, he like my art dealer set this one up. And he told him a number that it was, it's fuck me money where it's just like, well, I got to do that. You know, like that's a, that's the price that that thing should cost. Uh, that's what my time will be worth to do that. But I sat on it forever just because it was just like, this is going to take me forever to do. And then the longer I spent on it, the more I had to do on it, you know, like after it would have been like a year and the guy was uh, not happy, but it was just like, well, I can't just turn in some bullshit. So I had to do like an excellent job. So I'm like going out to the art store and buying like supplies and like do you know big painted background, you know, like really going for it on the thing because I have to, you know, I got a score on it. You know, like I have to impress. Whereas if I'd just done it right away, uh, I could have just done the regular amount of work that I would have done on the thing. Mm-hmm. 
end of the story, I turned it in, and he uh, and I <laughs> I did not write patience as a viru, which I think is the the fuck you <laughs> to any like anybody yeah. that give a big fuck you on yes. just put a patience as a viru, classic yes. Michael Golden commission move. Uh, uh, but I sent it to him, and he did, he still had notes on it. And at that point, I was like, listen, patience <laughs> is a viru. Oh, he didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, he liked it. But after two years, you have such expectations, you know. It was like I, I had made yeah. it impossible for myself to, you know, I'd built an impossible box for me to get out of. <laughs> Definitely. Oh boy, there you go. All right. Well, enough of that. Yes, yeah. Jason. Thank you for contributing. Anytime. Even though you're sick. This is the kind of friendship that I like to hear. My man. Yes. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. I read a boatload of stuff. I saw your list is plentiful. Many, many things. I didn't even put all the things I read on my list. because Look at you, after, all reading and stuff. After the first uh, three from this particular writer-artist, I thought, why belabor the point? I'm not going to talk about all of them. Um, as I mentioned, I think it was like one or two episodes ago, Fanagraphics recently um, bulk-loaded a ton of Richard Sala books. And uh, I had most of them in other forms. Uh, some of the original editions I had were were lacking from from wear. So I said, "What the hell? I'll get them all." And uh, this weekend, I had a most enjoyable time rereading uh, the Richard Sala Library. And this week, I have three, but I'm not going to break them all down. Don't worry, I won't belabor the point. Um, I have In a Glass Grotesquely, which was from 2014, The Bloody Cardinal from 2017, of which he made a sequel, and I have uh, Violenzia and Other Amusements from 2015. You guys are familiar with uh, Richard Sala, right? Just a little, just a little, yeah. Okay. Richard Sala speaks my language because he's a monster kid, as am I. And if you don't know what a monster kid is, um, it's uh, like-minded individuals that were born in the late 50s, early 60s, when Famous Monsters was king. And um, it, was a, it was a horror boom, a monster boom, that uh, was initiated by this package of films that Screen Gems put together. Uh, it was called the, the, the Shock Theater Package. And they were syndicated and played incessantly on cable. So a bunch of kids of that period grew up with being weaned on these universal horror films. Um, you had the, the Rise of the Horror Host, Zachary, Vampira, Bob Wilkins, Goulardi, you know, Aurora put out all those models that made everybody swoon, the Frankenstein, you know, the Dracula and the Wolfman. Um, so that's what, when, when someone says, you know, they're a horror kid, it's a very specific time period in which they were born and they grew up surrounded by horror films, horror toys, models, all that stuff. And if you if you follow Sala on on Facebook, he's he's like I'm a horror kid, and as are we all. So he speaks my language, but he also has a uh, from what I could tell from his his uh, stories, he has a profound interest in and love of the pulps. Jason, you can go to bed now. Um, so. <laughs> 
all three of these books are an amalgamation of horror and the super spy genre, like Danger Diabolic, you know, Mario Bava's great movie, um, that, that larger than life, I can do it all, intrigue, uh, protagonist that just takes the bull by the horns and just barrels in and manages to, to save the day. But in Sala's case, his protagonists are almost always female, which is awesome. And considering the way Sala draws the female, it's uh, very much uh, welcome in my heart because Sala has, like all great artists, like your Alan Davises and your uh, Adam Hughes's Sala has the uh, his idea of the perfect female, and unlike Alan Davis and um, Adam Hughes, they're not bombshells. They're modestly proportioned, average-looking women. I mean, they're cute, but they're not ravishing. They don't have uh, exaggerated proportions like giant boobs and massive hips. They're they're the average woman. Maybe a I don't want to get into the specifics, but you know, maybe a B cup, you know, and, and more often than not they're short haired, um cute red haired freckles, you know, they're they're just they're the girl next door basically, without you know the titill I well, I shouldn't say that because his, his work is very titillating. It's just that it's not as explicitly titillating as Adam Hughes. If that makes any sense to you at all, they are uh, the indie comics version of, and not pornographic, but like amateur porn girls, where they're sexy, but they look like you could, you know, run into them, and you can have a conversation with them. Yeah, yeah, and they're not looking in the mirror um, all the time, like seeing if their makeup is is uh, on right. But yeah. um, so the the overarching themes of all of these things is there is a megalomaniacal villain more often than not who just wants to sow the seeds of chaos and destruction they have agendas but it's just to fuck shit up right and they are somehow connected to the female protagonist whether they admire them or they love them or they had a run in with them sometime in the past. There's, there's a connection between Sala's protagonists and the villain, right? Um, for example, in the glass grotesquely, you, your villain is the super enig- enigmatics and it looks a lot like the red, red hood. He's got the, he has a physical red hood that terminates in a red cape. Right. And this guy's all about the chaos, just making things very uncomfortable for the population. He's a terrorist. Uh, he has a bunch of uh, high ranking officials in his pocket whom he kills. He doesn't think twice about killing them. He has an army of cat suited female assassins at his beck and call, willing to die for him. And uh, in walks or steps, uh, the protagonist, a woman, her name is uh, Natalie Charms. And she used to be a, a detective, but she, you know, stopped it all. And she teams up with a former inspector and his grandson and 
they just they try and bring down this megalomaniac. It sounds simple, but in Sala's hands, it's awesome because it's a visual tour de force. There, there are just beautiful women everywhere with guns, and in walks um, Natalie, and she's she's great. She doesn't have a head. She's not hesitant to kill, and she's very good with handguns. So there's a lot of death in this book, and that's the thing about Sala is he's not married to his protagonists in the bloody cardinal characters you can follow a character for like 20 30 pages and they'll end up dying and he moves on to another character and they'll end up dying it's it's a really organic cool way to do it it's it, it's i don't want to you know maybe i shouldn't uh bring up this book but it's it's much like walking dead in the sense that even though the the person is in the driver's seat, they could be killed at any moment. And Sala just, he just does it. And it's great. Um, but, the, I mean, they're horror-tinged, obviously, because Sala loves horror. And in the back of these things, um, you should get the main story, right? And in the back, he'll do these beautiful black-and-white stories that just follow a protagonist as they monologue, right? And the character will will be walking through uh, city streets. And solid cities, more often than not, look like something out of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Like, uh, perspective is is all over the place. It's just a nightmare landscape. And as this character is going through this these cityscapes monologuing, all of these creepy horror characters just pop up. Um, one panel you'll have a vampire, a hunchback, Peter Cushing. Then you have um, a mummy, uh, an ape in a tuxedo, zombies, vampires, uh, ghouls. Like he loves the horror genre, and he, more importantly to me, he loves the classic horror genre, like the Universal Hammer films, um, the the low budget stuff. The, the sci-fi stuff from the, the 50s and 60s, Creature from the Black Lagoon pops up frequently in these panels. And it, it's just a joy to behold because I love Sala's style. He's super exaggerated, um, very um, organic, and he loves to play with light and shadow, of course, but not in the main stories. The main stories are bright and watercolor art abounds he's got a beautiful beautiful style where these things are like rainbows a panel will be blooming with color as a giant man-eating plant consumes scores of people it's just so amazingly rendered that uh i i hold this guy on a very very high pedestal right um did i talk about violenzia i didn't violenzia is in the same mold as as nat um Natalie from uh, In a Glass Grotesquely. She's great with guns. She doesn't speak very much, at all, if at all. Well, she speaks at the end. Um, she's after this uh, world-renowned terrorist called Mr. Zadiko, right? He's like Rasputin. He's filthy, long hair. Alan Moore, kind of skinny. Um, and she's released. And she raises hell. She just stops this dude. She, every um, little 
pocket of corruption that he has fostered, she she uh, tamps it down. In the beginning, there's a um, a sacrifice being made, and you have all these hooded characters, and like there's there's elected officials in there, there's police officers in there, like they're 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 corrupt scumbags. And what they do is they they sacrifice this beautiful woman for the master, right? And they kill her. They just they stab her right in the chest. So later on in the story, Violenzia comes in and breaks it up. And she just kills almost everybody. But bang, 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 bang. Like they can't even stop her. Guys will bring out a Tommy gun. They don't even hit her. She, they're dead, right? So she, she eliminates that little um, microcosm of corruption and she goes on to another one. So, I mean, if you could say the stories are they're violent, but they're lighthearted violence, if that makes any sense. I mean, people get blown away left and right, but it's it's all in that super spy, tongue-in-cheek, noirish, gothic, Sala style that I love so much. I had a ball with these things. I actually read seven of his books over the weekend, and they're just wonderful. I, I can't recommend them enough. They're, they're not a, a, a very long read each one um but the thing that bugs me they're different form factors mm. yeah so i mean if you care about shit like that i i do and i don't the one is in a square proportion the other one's in a traditional you know um magazine proportion then you get another one that's in a, in a different size and it, it's willy-nilly all over the place and the only thing that concerns me is when you shelve them like i like to shelve things made by an artist together as you know most people would you're never shelving these things together it's it's going to look like the skyline of manhattan it's going to be up and down and up and you know but whatever i i prefer that i'm a i'm a real weirdo uh in that i put out a tweet about this like a year ago where i i like it when they change the the trade dress on a, on books because it then you can it like tells a story it's like autobiographical i got this in 2005 i didn't get this one until 2020 or whatever Part of my mind is like, yeah, okay, if this is the way Sala intended it, this this square format, then by all means do it. And then another one comes out, and I remember, wait a minute, this doesn't look like the last one. What am I going to do? So I I like it, but then I, on the other hand, it's the OCD in me, where everything has to be the same. You know that just crops up. So yes, I like it, but sometimes I don't. I just ordered two. Uh, I like this being on the show because I can get them before they, before the last <laughs> copies sell when, when other people hear. What did uh, you? Which one did you get? I get Peculia, uh, and the Groon Grow Vampires. Nice. And uh, Cat Burglar Black. Oh. I got the two cheapest ones. Oh, they're all very. I mean, they're not expensive. I think the most is nineteen ninety nine for for a, a copy, but they they range from like thirteen ninety nine to nineteen ninety nine. Um, and, uh, the bloody Cardinals great too. Uh, again, main characters are women and they get eliminated along the way. The thing they're looking for is a book and it's called cat head by Irina Lyford. But when you switch the letters around, it spells diary of the Cardinal. And supposedly this, again, insane megalomaniac who wears a Cardinal mask um and a suit wrote this and it's 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 poetry but it's not only poetry it's directions 
to a location. And that's all I'm going to say. And he, he uh, brainwashes this girl whose mother read this poetry to her at a young age. And she goes bonkers. She can't get the cardinal out of her mind. Um, and then you have these girls searching for the book, and they find it, but they're eliminated by someone. Supposedly, the bloody cardinal's dead when the book opens. He was b- killed in a fire. Obviously, that's not the case, right? Uh, it's just great super spy action, intrigue, monster horror. Uh, I, it's 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 a catch-all. I know. I'm, I'm trying to to uh, accommodate for every genre in which Sala works, but he works in a lot of different genres. So he's he's amazing. He's a uh, I've been following his work for a long, long, long time. Uh, I just got that one too. All right. Let me talk about another one if you want to order more. <laughs> <laughs> but I just uh, paid a very expensive parking ticket. I need to stop oh, this. Jesus. Oh, in uh, in Violencia, there is in the back after the main story, there is a. It's called Malever- Malevolent Reveries: An Alphabetical Exposition. And the first one starts off, an afternoon of appalling apparitions. And then he goes down the list. So there's 26 of them. And in these images, I mean, Sala runs the gamut. There's one that has Invasion of the Saucer Men, the, the creature from uh, Frankenstein meets the space monster, the, the Metaluna mutant, I married a monster from outer space, invaders from Mars, like Angry Red Planet. This dude, his language mirrors my own, you know? Um, then he'll have another one with a werewolf, a phantom, uh, Dracula, a hunchback, Nosferatu, creeps abound. Like this guy, I love him so much. So if you're uh, in the mood for something different, go get some Richard Sala books. They're all from Fanographics. We used to have an original Richard Sala hanging up here in the studio. Get out of here. Uh, yeah, Burnham uh, was a big fan. And Burnham's not too into getting original artwork. It just doesn't do anything for him. Uh, but... He got in contact with Richard Sala, and there was a page because I don't think he sells his original art, but he'll do commissions. And so Burnham commissioned him to do a, like a recreation of a panel that he really liked. Oh my uh, god! I haven't read the work, so I don't know what it was from, but it was very nice looking, and it hung up here for the entire time that Burnham worked here. Uh, was it expensive? Uh, I think it was like three hundred bucks or something. It wasn't. Oh, that's know. not much. A color? Yeah, painted. Damn it. Yeah, I'm no Jason, but I would pony up 300 bucks for a Sala original. Oh yeah, it was a real value. Like it, you know, sometimes uh, something comes along and it looks like a, a real piece of art, you know, and that looked like a real piece of art for sure. Yeah, well, all of the panels in in these things, the the uh, the fully painted ones, they're just I mean, they're they're all gorgeous. But there's something about Sala's work when he parlays uh, in color. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. So that's that's all I got for right now. You want me to do another question? I wish you would. All right. Well, I'll bring up my list. David. Yes. I feel like I've asked you a version of this question in person, but I had I I also thought of a twist on it, and it comes from uh, uh, Bad Boys 3 comes out this weekend. Oh, Jesus, today, actually, yeah. And yeah. All, of, all of my friends uh, fucking abandoned me on it. Like, they just don't want to go see it. And I went and saw uh, Fast and Furious with them, and I don't care about that shit at all. So I was just like, let's go see Bad Boys. I'm so excited. It's been like, you know, 20 years since there was a Bad Boys. Nobody's going to go with me. But my wife, she says, let's go on Monday. It's a day off. She's going to go with me. So then I got to thinking, I wonder if Renee 
would go see Bad Boys with David, or vice versa. But the real question is, we know that Renee often won't go to see non-Spider-Man Marvel movies or Star Wars is with you. Uh-huh. Uh, do you guys have like franchises that you do go see? Uh, or on top of that, are there movies that you'll go see with her that you don't care about? Or do you get an out because she won't go see this shit with you? Or would you prefer not to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I don't mind at all. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't really know if we have any franchises that aren't that that, that you haven't mentioned. Um, yeah, the Marvel movies we tend to go see, and it's really just the the sci fi Star Wars, Star Trek stuff. She won't bother with. Um, so that's me going solo. We, um, yeah, no, I mean, I we 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 both wanted to see. Downton Abbey. Um, okay, that's one. Yeah, I don't the, think I, there really isn't any. I don't think because even even Bad Boys because when I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, okay, all right, well, it doesn't look like Martin's going to have to wear a fat suit for Big Mama's return anymore. <laughs> but it's, um, I think as as ridiculous as it might be, if if she if she was like, hey, you know, let, let's go see it, yeah, I'd. I'd say if I, there, it's rare for me to not want to go to the theater to see a movie. I got a real soft spot for Martin Lawrence. I love a Bad Boys. Uh, I love a Martin the TV show. And yep. if somebody like to the point where if somebody doesn't like it, I think that they're racist. <laughs> <laughs> like, what Jesus. are you talking about? <laughs> I was out at the movies the other night, and we were talking about Bad Boys, and this this friend of mine, like a totally decent dude, was like, "I had friends that went in to meet uh, to write on Martin, and they said." The people that they were talking to were like, Martin Lawrence is the Lucille Ball of his day, and some of the episodes are as good, if not better, than some of the I Love Lucy episodes. And then he laughed, and I was like, yeah, they were telling the truth. That's true. Like He was the Lucille Ball of his day, and some of those episodes, the one with the dead plumber in particular, is better than some loose, like, not. It's not better than the one where they fucking make chocolates. <laughs> but it's not like every single I Love Lucy episode was a home run. That's true. Uh, Anyway, I'm very yeah. excited, and 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 Martin Lawrence has become so scarce. You know, he just only he's like a groundhog. Yeah, he's out every once in a while. I'm yeah, very excited like, by the return of Mike Lowry for sure. It's like it, it, that's the only way. It's like Martin's like, yo, I, I I'd like to I'd like to make a movie, and and Will's like, fine, I'll do another Bad Boys. It, it's like when Chris Tucker. It's like you only see Chris Tucker during a Rush Hour movie. It's like is Jackie yeah. Chan busy? Okay, then great, we'll get you. I just there are some. Yeah, what happened to Chris Tucker? Chris he Tucker. was in. He, I, he had a Netflix stand-up earlier, late earlier last year or late it the year was before, like 2015 or something. It's been a oh, long okay. Time. It has that been thing, a long yeah, time. I was gonna say, that thing's yeah. super good though, too. Yeah, it is. Um, and um, I know he was in Silver Linings Play, but yeah, I mean, there's not because I found out he was in it. I was like, holy crap! That, that that's a non-Rush Hour movie. I can't believe he was in that. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, there there's some dudes who were just. I mean, I when I saw when I saw the trailer, and I'm like, okay, well, we know what Will looks like because he's in every goddamn movie, and we know he's fit. And I'm like, wait, this, oh my god, no, it isn't. <laughs> Marty Mar, dude, hell, man, and no wonder you're retired. But yeah, it's uh, so great for the character though. Like he's the one that's getting older and wants to settle yeah. down, and he just yeah. he looks like it. He looks like Reginald Bell Johnson. But I just I'm a little <laughs> damn. I just I am a little worried that um, that it's. 
because I, I enjoyed the first one a lot. I, I, I thought it was I thought it was fun and, and the second one had its moments. It wasn't wasn't flawless, but it had some good parts and, and it had some really cheesy things. And this just based on on the the commercials, this looks like it's veering more towards the the first one. Cheesy no. What? Yeah, I've heard that that some of the excesses of the second one have been pulled back in. Okay, excellent. More focused, like the first one. I I hope. I hope it's Michael Bay produced, but it's a different guy directing now. Uh, So I, I think it's going to be good. I got a good feeling about it. I've been getting very excited. Excellent. I'm glad. Yeah, if you were in, if if I was out there, if you were over here, yeah, and and Jason was feeling better, we'd definitely go see it. Okay, good. What the hell? I wouldn't go. I don't know if you would. Be into it. I, I'm serious. I, I like I like uh, Martin Lawrence. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. It's love, easy uh-huh. to celebrate his whole catalog if you wanted to. The guy's in like eight movies tops. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Chris Tucker is in one of my favorite movies of all time. What's that? The Fifth Element. That's true. Oh, yeah, he true. does have these very like out of character spots that he pops up in. He's the Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing in Fifth Element. Yeah, he's wild in that thing. Love it, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris Tucker's not in Bad Boys. That's Will Smith. Right. Well, see, here's the deal. I saw Bad Boys, but I didn't even know there was a second one. Till just now? Till just now, yeah. Wow. I love it. go to Cuba. (sighs) They go all over the place. (laughs) I got nothing. I know. Sorry. But I'm not a racist. I I, I like Martin Lawrence. And FYI, Lucy turned to shit when she started working at the bank. Thank you. Yes. Those, the, I am a more leave it to Beaver than a Lucy. And I understand it's not as knee slap funny, but something about that show just really charms me. Leave it to Beaver? Really? Love it. Wow. My, maybe one of my favorite episodes of TV ever is this one where Eddie Haskell, <laughs> uh, <laughs> while he gets a job as a lifeguard, and Eddie Haskell keeps going down to the beach to hang out with him because he's going to, like, pick out chicks because his buddy's a lifeguard. And he's, like, down there, like, living a fucking beatnik lifestyle, playing bongos and shit. I don't know. It just delights me. I could watch it any day of the week. I always it's... wondered why they didn't just beat the shit out of Eddie Haskell. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. He's always threatening to beat the shit out of Beaver. Oh, sure. Pick Eddie on the little kid. Yeah, yeah that shows you what kind of a man he is, right? Yeah. I've been rereading... Uh, Lock and Key since the trailer came out, and I get some interest, so like some real Beaver Wally vibes uh, from the kids in Lock and Key, and then like that shithead Dodge is a real Eddie Haskell type anyway. Yeah, I don't think it's the template they were going for, but yeah, I don't think Eddie Haskell blew somebody in a truck. (laughs) (laughs) I really that wasn't Dodge. That was the the kid with the mole on his face. Oh, what was his name? Uh, I don't know. I'm reading it right now, but as you can tell, I have no comprehension. I think it's Jason, isn't it? Jason. <laughs> he's he's out. He's gone. Dick. So what else do we have? Anything? David? I um, uh, Here's another first issue. Um, and it'll segue into another book. Um, but... Uh, shout out to um, John Wimmer. He took me up with some codes as 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 he's wont to do, and one of them was Hawkeye Freefall number one. Mm. And this 
this looks great because it's illustrated by Otto Schmidt. Um, but it's written by Matthew Rosenberg. And I, it's been a while since um, I consider myself really a, a, the Hawkeye fan. Like early West Coast Avengers is just kind of like the last time. So this, though, and, and yeah, I, I know, you know, Aja and Fraction had their great run. But um, there's just things about Clint that, that, that kind of throws me the wrong way. But I think Rosenberg has a real good handle on Clint's inner monologue, but what's what works for me in this issue is that the foil is the hood, and I think the hood's a joke as well. So for these two characters to be in a book together, or or, or for for Hawkeye trying to get the upper hand on the hood, works well for me. Um, it's you know Hawkeye is just trying to find out what the hood's up to. Um, it, it's uh, a lot of the lines are, are, are clever and witty and um, Hawkeye, of course, doesn't have the best luck. Um, but while he's dealing with the hood, there's a, um, there's someone running around in a Ronin outfit and uh, actually kills people. And that causes, um, Bucky, Winter Soldier, and Falcon to harass Clint because who else would be wearing a Ronan outfit? However, three other people um, have worn the costume. Um, but, you know, he's able to prove that it isn't him. Uh, and the Ronan who is, whoever is wearing the outfit, um, gets the better of, um, of our heroes. But uh, apparently Clint is also um banging the night nurse these days and the um i just i i thought as far as the first issue goes for me to want to try something that features hawkeye um this was a home run as far as i'm concerned i i i think i think otto's work is great um it's you know fitting that that he's doing marvel's Archer after working on uh, Green Arrow over at DC, um, but yeah, I think I, I think the 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 play between between Clint and his fellow Avengers works really well. Everybody sounds like who they're supposed to sound like, um, and I just I, I, I thought as far as as first issue goes, solid setup, and and um, you know I I'm like to see where this kind of mystery is going once we find out who who is wearing the um the ronin outfit but yeah not um not a bad start for a first issue at all so so kudos to all involved but that leads me to another auto penned well drawn issue and that's um batman annual number three and this one's written by tom taylor and the this is one of those covers doesn't really tell you what the story would but it has nothing to do with the interior um but the story is told from alfred's point of view um which is also kind of um fitting considering what, what what's what happened to him as tom was nearing the end of his run on the title but the it's it's from a um 
it starts off with you know Alfred Alfred answering the phone one night um, and uh, there was an incident in an alley so he um, he shows up at the scene cops asking him you know if he could go uh, to the coroner's office to identify the victims and Alfred's like no no they, they they're two of the most prominent figures in the city any is anyone else someone else can identify him I, I have a far more pressing responsibility now where's the boy and um, and and so begins Alfred looking after Bruce and um, you get a lot of conversations some of them one way but but for the most part there are a lot of conversations with uh, with Batman taking care business uh at night through the air um alfred talking to him because you know he hasn't slept in days and he's uh, under the weather and and he's just alfred's just you know doing his best to take care of him um but i think i think this is one of the most and and to see to see alfred act uh protect Batman and 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 want what's uh, what's best for Bruce and uh, there's there's an incident involving a stabbing and and Batman's losing a lot of blood so they go to um to see Leslie Tompkins and um, and Alfred was also in a um, in an altercation so so she's also taking care of him and they're having a talk about what's best for Bruce and what's best for Alfred and, and how Alfred uh, was planning on leaving the Waynes um, before that phone call. He, he didn't think he wasn't servitude. Wasn't going to be what he was going to do for the rest of his life. But, but that call changed everything. And, uh, but I think this issue just really shows you a lot. It, it really kind of hammers the, the, the relationship Alfred and and Bruce have and um, Alfred is still even under Taylor's hand he's he's still a um, he's he's a um, he's a bit passive aggressive uh, and and sarcastic uh, even snarky but it's it's all to prove a point and 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 to express how much he cares for Bruce Um, but yeah they uh you know, there's this absolute, and and Alfred sees. You know, when when Leslie asks him, you know, why why do you do what you do? It's it's a thankless task, and, and he says it's it's not thankless because every time I walk through Gotham, I see people with family, with friends, with lives, people who wouldn't be here without him. So he's he's you know even even when Batman is is beaten down and um, and calls Alfred for help, and he's he's losing blood and losing consciousness. A couple of muggers show up as if they're going to like rob Batman. And that's when Alfred comes over to, to save him. And, and he's like, you know, he, he saves people like you every night. He, he, he doesn't, he asks for nothing. And, and you're going to like, you're going to rob him. Like, how do you even, and there were just moments throughout this annual that, that just, Every time you think it's it's just gonna be a cute little maybe smarmy story and and no oh, it's another story about how Bruce and Alfred loves Bruce and just takes care of this whatever Taylor was doing in this um, that there, there were beats that he hit that that just kind of give me the feels in some cases it, it was it was a really well done issue um, I yeah I, I um, would have been my new travels had I read it when I come out but it was it's 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 a st- it's really 
strong story for and and it's perfect for an annual because it's it's more than the traditional 20 ish page story so they got to kind of spread their wings a little bit but um yeah it was uh it was a solid solid done in one definitely recommended happy to um happy to have read it as as part of uh well batman lore but no um Otto, Otto's been doing great work for a while, but this is, um, yeah, the, these two issues, and and you know, one is of course on the darker side of things. It's raining. It's in Gotham at night, and and the Hawkeye is is a lot more colorful, more cheery. He's having you know brunch on a Brooklyn sidewalk, and it's all. I mean, you know, so it's it, they're kind of opposites, but um, but as far as uh, and, and and Otto works well with both styles with both writers um and and uh with both characters but yeah um I was really really impressed with the Batman and didn't know what to expect and and quite happy to have read it I yeah, will co-sign I love the uh, Hawkeye Freefall yeah nice. same yeah I love that's, it as well that's great I'm not a big Rosenberg like I don't know I haven't read a bunch of his work uh, I just took a flyer on it based on somebody saying they liked it and I also liked it quite a bit that's awesome it's all quite a shit I got a question <laughs> go ahead shoot uh, Vince yes <laughs> uh, ha- something you're famous for uh, taking a real hardline stance on something and then softening later on. Sometimes. <laughs> the uh, well, number one, I don't know if it's famous, but um, infamous, maybe. Sure. Okay. Uh, it, have you softened yet on Airboy? And and if and can you just discuss the, your love for the original Airboy or what it is that's keeping you from reading this incredible uh, image comic series Airboy by James Robinson and Greg Hinkle? Is it the penis? Is it the schlong? No, I don't mind a little penis now and then. I, I think you prefer oh, that's it. Good. It's only yeah. if it's a little. Um, because yeah, I remember it was a very big reaction to it. Yeah, because Davy's innocent, right? He's hanging around with Valkyrie. Her tits are hanging out, right? He never. Uh, there's a period where he never really makes a move on her. And he's a teen kid, and it's just the 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 blossoming of puberty, and this woman walks into his life, and he's not. I just thought it was respectable that he wasn't a horn dog and all over her, right? Yeah. N- notwithstanding the great stories in in the the uh, the Eclipse run, I adore the run, even though a lot of it, or I think most of it, was written by Chuck Dixon, right? It's they're just great stories. They're fun. They're pulpy. They're a little bit superhero-y. You got the 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 spy angle, the the war angle. They're I think they're wonderful comics that are tinged with innocence, right? And then you got this guy coming in, and I know Robinson's a great writer. This guy comes in and he takes this presumably innocent character, at least by my estimation, and he uses it as a lever to tell another story, a, a, a semi-autobiographical story that really has not a whole lot to do with Airboy. Right. Airboy's just a means to an end. So to take this character that I love and use him and his world as a means to an end, or so I've heard it, I, like you said, I haven't read it, it just rubbed me the wrong way and I don't need to read it. 
If I if I find it for five bucks at a convention, because um, David and Jason read it, you are are um, championing it. If I find it cheap, I'll read it. But I'm not going out of my way to buy it. I just I've, every time I think about it and your reaction to it, I just think how if it had been some other character, how much you would have loved this book. Like it's just it's Probably. so unfortunate that it's yeah. this one. any character other than Popeye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, or like. What, again, from what I've heard, what this book does to Airboy is like if someone used Peter Parker in that role. That's how much I love Airboy. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because you really enjoyed Weapon Brown when I got you to check it out. Yeah, but that and was... you love Peanuts. I do, but that was a parody, a grossly exaggerated parody. That's okay. This, wasn't Airboy a parody, though? Oh, but know. this is called Airboy. Like, it's, yeah. you know, because oh, it's I in see. the public okay. domain, you so can So it was called Air Dude... <laughs> Then it would have maybe been funny, but no, I don't know how to explain it. There are very, very few things in this life that I, that I hold very near and dear to my heart. Well, let me encourage you to check out any other Greg Hinkle thing. Oh, the the art is fantastic. Oh, I like Greg Hinkle. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I saw, he's got a new thing coming out that I think is going to be a Kickstarter and I saw an early look at it and it's crazy looking like he's so good. Uh, I mm. wish he like I don't know, understand why he hasn't really popped. I think he says that he's he's a little slow, but like uh, I would want to see him on everything. He did that book with uh, with Latour and and Ivan. Yeah, 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 yeah. A Black Cloud. That was it. Yeah, yeah. That was cool. I mean, yeah. it, it didn't last long, but it was cool. Yeah, I think they got the like two or three trades out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Hinkle's speaking of Kickstarter. Isn't he doing the coolest cooler comic? That is, <laughs> stick. That, see, this is why people think we're going to break up. <laughs> well, they're right now. Uh, I got something else. What you got? More Fantagraphics. This time, two volumes by a man named Eric Haven. Do you know who Eric Haven is? You, you have seen, I bet you, you have seen Eric Haven's hands. Because he was uh, a producer on MythBusters, and you know, you know the animated um, shorts or spots that precede the actual MythBusting, where they yes. the, blu- the blueprints come out and the, the hand draws the the things. That's Eric Haven's hand. Oh, yep. He has also been um, in the LA Weekly, the Believer, Mad Magazine. And, uh, of course, Mythbusters. And he's a very talented writer-artist. The two books that I have are, the first one is Compulsive Comics, and the second volume is called Vague Tales. I'm just going to, you can, he's a, he's an absurdist in the vein of Michael Kupperman, but, um, Tales Design of Thrizzle, but the visuals are more along the Ben Mara line mixed with a classic comic sensibility. Uh, Put it this way. The Compulsive Comics is an anthology. Once I tell you the details of this one story, you're probably going to run out and get it. I'm I'm confident. Uh, Eric Haven has a tendency to inject himself into his stories. So Eric Haven, the author and illustrator, is driving down the road in a, a black volkswagen beetle right and he's talking to his girlfriend and he's like you know i wonder 
why why is there so many cartoonists living in the Bay Area? He's like, could it have been the publication of Zap Comics number one in 1968 that stirred up all this stuff? Or I I really don't understand why there's a proliferation of mini comics in this area. And he's driving and the girlfriend's like, watch out. And he hits somebody. He hits a man in the road. Oh, he's like, oh, Jesus. He gets out of the car. The, the, the girlfriend's like, I don't feel a pulse. And Eric Haven's like, wait a minute. This guy looks kind of familiar. He's like, holy shit. I just killed Dan Klaus. Oh, and, shit. and that's the name of the story. I killed Dan Klaus. And Eric Haven is sweating. He's sweating it out. He's like, well, this is terrible. This is insane. And you see Dan Klaus's spirit lift from his body <laughs> and, <laughs> and go to heaven, right? And then so they bury the body. They bury Dan Klaus's body. And he's like, I, just, I can't believe I just buried Dan Klaus. This is fucking insane. So the girlfriend's like, yeah, we still got to report it. We'll just say it was an accident. And they get back in the car and they're driving again, and the girlfriend's like, look out! And he hits somebody else, and it's Adrian Tomine. <laughs> He's like, holy shit, I just killed Adrian Tomine. And Adrian Tomine's spirit goes up into heaven. And Dan Klaus is in heaven, and he's sitting down, he's all dejected and forlorn, and he's like, Adrian's there. Oh, wait a minute. Um, Holy shit, it's Dan Klaus. And Dan's like, it's great to see you, lad. He goes, I think we're dead. This is insane. And Adrian said, you know, it's that fucker in the black uh, Volkswagen Beetle. And Dan's like, yeah, it was a Beetle that hit me. And the ground starts to shake. And God appears. And God is a giant, hooded, three-eyed, tentacled mermaid with breasts. Right? And Dan Klaus says, you know what? I know this isn't you know, your stock and trade, but I'm going to get a little Old Testament here. Do you think you could send us back for vengeance? Like, this one guy killed both of us. Send, send us back. So uh, God goes, hey, you're Dan Klaus. I thought your gyneco- um, gynecology story in 8-Ball number 17 was brilliant. And he goes to Adrian Tomine, he goes, hey, your comics are pretty good, but I liked it when you were funny. This new stuff? (laughs) And Adrian's like, whoa. uh, uh." So God sends them back to Earth, but they have to wear uh, spandex. They wear superhero costumes. I won't tell you the ending of this because it's, it, it needs, you know, you need to read it. But it's basically Adrian Tomine and Dan Klaus returning to Earth in superhero costumes. What the hell could be better than this? Fantastic. It's Since in- you've done it again, I just bought it on Kindle. It's insane. Uh, but it is an anthology, and um, all of the stories e- are either linked or they're um, thematically linked or they're, they're, they're spiritually linked, or Eric Haven is the link. Um, Eric Haven goes to the zoo. And he sees an ant, an anteater, and he's like, "Wow!" Says here that anteaters eat forty thousand ants per day. The fat fuck! And the the <laughs> the anteater hears him and gets pissed off and beats the shit out of him and and drinks his brain. <laughs> I, I <laughs> it's so stupid, but I love every friggin' page of this thing. Um, 
remember way, way, way back, I talked about the Aviatrix. Back when I talked about Lisa Hanawalt's comic from, uh, I mean, Aviatrix was published by Buenaventura. You get the, the Aviatrix in this comic. Um, is it in this one? Or is it, oh, it's in this one. There's a, a story where um, Eric Haven does despicable things, but it's okay because he's wearing a tie. <clears throat> and he keeps saying it. It's okay. I'm wearing a tie. Like he kills a police officer. It's okay. I'm wearing a tie. Uh, it's just, it's absurd, right? So stupid. Um, Eric goes out with a, a young woman named Protonia, and she's a little tiny, tiny woman, like that could fit in the palm of his hand. And she, she's, she has like this belly dancer um, get up on. Like I don't understand it at all, but we're not supposed to. And, uh, it was they get home after a night of of drinking and, and eating and she's waiting for him on the couch on a pillow and he excuses himself he goes into her bathroom and he he has explosive diarrhea in the bathroom and he vomits in her garbage can and when he gets out of the bathroom she has um uh she was rendered unconscious by the stench of his because she's a little lady she's got little tiny lungs <laughs> so and the story proceeds from there but oh my god so much fun compulsive comics from fanographics i i won't go into vague tales again all the stories are linked uh vague tales is a hardcover it's all in color um compulsive tales has a flexi cover it's a mix of uh color art and black and white uh they are just <laughs> excuse me i have to tell you about this one there's a, there, there's a strip called the gunslinger uh the mighty western hero called the gunslinger and his rattling cry is yeah um but he takes his namesake quite literally because he does not fire his gun he throws it <laughs> so check him out um eric haven Vague Tales, Compulsive Comics, again, from Fantagraphics. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, I love comics, boy. I really do. When they get, <laughs> you know, the, the, the dumber and the more offbeat and, and absurd, the better. Right? Because comics, what, should be ridiculous. <sighs> this looks great. Yeah, there's so much I could spoil. But I mean, I want to, but I won't because you just bought it, so I won't get into anything else in there. But it it is like, well worth the, like six bucks digital. No kidding. Yeah. Well worth the price. Jason, you doing all right? I am, my friend. I was on mute, but uh, you did do a nice job of selling it. Nothing is better than you being excited about a silly comic. Seriously, it's stupid silly. Yeah. <laughs> Gunslinger, very funny. Yes. He throws his gun at a snake, and the gun comes back to him like a boomerang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we uh, Should we back the bus into the spot? I don't know. Do you have any more questions for us? Yeah. Uh, I'm all out of questions. Okay. Uh, I, got, I got through the end of my questions, and I got one more, but I guess I could use it for my In Your Travels. Oh, that's nice. That's very clever. Yeah, you should. You should do this more often. <laughs> Anytime you guys are sick, I'm happy to come on <laughs> ask you personal questions. Cool. All right. Remember the drill. DCBcomics.com. Oh, my God. I'm so rusty. DCB. <laughs> it was the gunslinger that did it to me. DCBService.com. 
gets you what you want at the price you're gonna you want to pay. From uh, Rebellion, best of 2000 AD, number one is two dollars and seventy four cents for a hundred pages of comics. Don't be silly. Make sure that's on your list. Uh, also from Ad House, it's the Cankor graphic novel from our man Matthew Allison, whose art adorns this episode. By the way. Uh, it is $13.97. And from the superfine folks at Nobrow, it's Gamayun Tales, Volume 1, by Alexander Utkin, will cost you, again, $13.97. In your travels, I'm going to round it out with another Fanographics book. This time, it's a very diminutive, although thick, hardcover it's not the length, it's the girth on this one. It's uh, 1999. It's about an inch and a quarter thick. And it's, wow, written by Mr. Charles Burns. I don't want to say written because it's all drawings, basically. It's uh, called Free Shit. Um, what Char- Charles Burns did was, uh, I guess, one day at a convention, a... Uh, dumbass walked up to him and said hey you got any free shit and charles burns said hey you know what i should have free shit to to hand out at conventions so he embarked on a practice of creating eight page mini zines that he would distribute um in limited numbers at conventions and this free shit contains 25 of said Mini comics. It ranges from uh, gesture drawings, preliminary sketches, full-on illustrations, uh, some photography, a uh, uh, very explicit drawings, um, things that you've seen in uh, Charles Burns's books, things that you may uh, see in bo- his books in the future. Um, there are distorted animals, uh, grotesque. Uh, Siamese twins, some actual comics in here, uh, Tintin's in here. There's Charles Burns's version of Archie as an adult. There is a double page splash of Big Barda naked with her massively hairy bush all hanging out. Uh, it's just amazing. And if you love Charles Burns and his inimitable uh, sawtooth shading technique, uh, you will love this. But as I said, it's it's not sequential art per se. It's uh, it's an art book done by one of the uh, the true masters of uh, the medium, I think. Uh, but dark and very, very creepy. And um, uh, William Burroughs is in here. There you go. It's, it's just great. So, uh, oh, Dr. Zayas. Charles Burns is Dr. Zayas. It's uh, if you love Charles Burns, you really got to have this on your shelf. And I do love me some Charles Burns. So, Fanographics books, free shit, nineteen ninety nine, hardcover. Get it. It's a huge night for Fanographics. It is another uh, artist that we probably haven't given his due. Right. I think we. I mean, we talked about El Borba, and yeah. we did. Uh, X out, X or cross, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't think we've we've we didn't do Dog Boy, we no. didn't we didn't do Black Hole in any kind of no, no, we should. We right? acknowledged Black Hole right way before. back in the day, but yeah, 
We should. I just I'm googling around. It looks like there's a black hole artist edition. I had no idea. Oh, good God, no. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I'll do mine. In your travels, uh, continuing adventures of me reading manga that is definitely made for teenage girls. Uh, I saw this on a bunch of uh, best of lists for the year, and so I grabbed it, and uh, it's right in my wheelhouse as far as the sort of stuff I like. It's called Blank Canvas, My So-Called Artist's Journey, and it's by Akiko Higashimura. Akiko Higashimura, uh, who is a manga artist, a mangaka who does uh, a book called Princess Jellyfish, which is uh, apparently wildly popular. Uh, but this is her book about becoming an artist. Um, it's her in high school, uh, and it starts when she's just – she always uh, wanted to be a shoujo manga artist. And it, it takes her from the point where she just sits around and doodles in her house to uh, she first starts taking private lessons. Uh, and in this first volume, it's about her uh, taking tests to get into like uh, art college uh, and – and everybody sort of looks down on the sort of art that she wants to do. Uh, but, but she's like totally into it. And she has this, uh, cruel art teacher, uh, sensei who, uh, like hits his students with a stick and makes them, you know, redraw the same statue busts over and over and over again. Like Vince um, when he's teaching a class. Yeah. I, I dig it. I, I mean, similar to, uh, to witch hat, which has sort of like an artistic bent to it. Uh, there's a lot in here. If you've ever been an artist or like uh, taken art classes, uh, you'll definitely be able to identify with this. Uh, and if you're like me and you like, you know, like Mean Girls and Beverly Hills 90210 and shit like that, like it's about teenagers. Uh, so I, I say 90210 like a 50 year old would. If you like Mean Girls or like uh, Riverdale, uh, I would recommend <laughs> this book. Because <laughs> no, uh, it- teenagers uh, having art classes and stuff, it's great. Now, what was the name of it again? It's called Blank Canvas, subtitle, My So-Called Artist's Journey. Nice. I will look into it. Higashimura, artist of Princess Jellyfish. Cool. Uh, In your travels, um, I'll just make it uh, short and sweet, because I... with Jason being under the weather, we, we were going to do a um, – really make Vince's night and do a um, mutant Rama, but um, we'll save that for next week. So I will say in your travels, because um, the third issue is out, and why should it be any different, um, Grand Old Devil's Odyssey. And it continues the story told by Matt – and colored by Brennan, and this time there is a uh, there are pages with Susan, who we haven't seen since War Child and um, Past Prime. But yeah, um, it's another planet that they come across that uh, may be good enough for uh, humanity to to live on. Um, there are some guardians of this world. Um, everybody else on the planet are basically frozen in, um, because everybody has a certain, everybody, you can only live on the planet 
for certain for a certain amount of time everybody gets a turn so because you can't have everybody there all at once everybody else has to go in stasis and and now that um uh <laughs> prime is here he's going to um he's he's being told that uh now that you're here you get to um now join everybody else um and things really don't go well for um for our hero in quotes or uh or his drone so it's um i'm i'm really anxious to see um how they pick up with the fourth issue but yeah no surprise grandel devil's odyssey in your travels respect um I didn't know that I was going to do this for my travels, but uh, but why not? I, I, I bought this book because uh, when I was researching the best books of the decade lists that were all around, um, this book came up quite a few times, and I knew that the creator was someone that Vince was a big fan of, and I had uh, been relatively a noob when it comes to his work. So I thought, why not start with the book that seems to be, at the most people's perception, his best? Turns out it was actually his first. So curious after I talk about the book if Vince agrees that it's his best work. But uh, that is Ant Colony by Michael DeForge. Wow. Cool. And, yeah, drawn in quarterly. Um, this book is newer than I remember. It came out in 2014. Uh, 2014. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not like DeForge has really been on the scene for all that long. Um, l- l- yes, I mean, he basically has become a thing since the show started. So I guess I'd gotten a sense that he was a little bit more of a long in the tooth creator that you would already were a big fan of. Um, but I guess not. He's actually a pretty young dude too. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ant Colony is, is, it was awesome. It was amazing. Um, it's, it started out as a, came to understand as a uh, series of, of web comics, but they were, weren't very popular and they weren't widely distributed. Uh, it was just called Ant Comic. So then he went back to the drawing board and then fleshed it out into a full OGN and then obviously got it published through D&Q. Um, it's a tale of an ant colony. Uh, w- and it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of uh, a bunch of very uh, oddball um, interactions in this society that uh, range from very, very morbid to very, very funny. Um, the main characters range from uh, a young boy, Ant, and his dad, who's essentially a sadist. His dad, at every opportunity, when he thinks he can get away with it, does depraved things or expresses a desire to do so. Um, two other characters are uh, a, a couple, a homosexual couple, um, who... Um, kind of go through the complete uh, life cycle of their relationship. Uh, there's a, uh, the most visually arresting part of the book, I think is the queen um, where essentially she's drawn to be literally like larger than life, like almost like the size of a mountain. And uh, her vagina is essentially the life canal. And every male ant walks into her vagina and, and drops his, his seed in her every month. Uh, by design and then through her and, and, and her body flow all of the ant colony and the, and the, and the, the, the larva and the baby ants and the tendrils and the, 
um, uh, it, and, and it's really it's a reflection on like society and community and and relationships, but it's 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 just darkly humorous. It's it's just exceedingly funny. Um, he draws these wolf spiders with these crazy over the top uh, big bad wolf animated heads, and uh, he draws centipedes where they look like um, like uh, stretch limousines, and uh, then these ants are all black ants, like good like like common ants and then they have uh, other red ants and the red ants are it's interesting the black ants are visually he, he doesn't draw them they're not really anthropomorphic in the sense that they do have faces but they're not like drawn to look like what an ant would look like they're, you can see through and see some of their organs um, they have I think nine legs nine arms or legs um, so, so they're, they're, they're you only know they're ants because they say they're ants and they act like ants but they're they don't look like ants, right. but then the red ants look very much like humans. They're bipedal, but then they have traditionally drawn ant faces, and they're very tribal. Uh, and you, you see all these ants interacting with the world, and then uh, a war happens with the red ants, and as a result of the war and most of the ants dying, between that and uh, um, there's a, a a lot of them are wiped out through a, a magnifying glass. A kid with a magnifying glass wiping them out. Um, the colony dies, to, and it's it, it literally DeForge literally draws the colony dying and having the queen wither away and, and rot and decay away. And so the survivors go on walkabout looking for a new tribe, and they try to create a new queen to, with disastrous disastrous results. They debate about whether they should bother joining another colony. Uh, and it's all these different little vignettes and, um, and, and it's, it's bizarre and it's, it's, it's hilarious in a way. <laughs> it reminded me of Bean World. If Bean World had a sadistic slant, uh, that's a good comparison. Know, yeah. Right. And it's the same kind of the process. Dynamic, yeah. What, yeah. The, the, the idea. And, and, and one of the things that, that I think that's, that's most notable here. And as I understand it, I think it's a common theme throughout a lot of the Forge's later work is um, most of the characters in this book are without agency, which is how you think of an ant, right? You think that they're drones and they're part of a system. They don't have a lot of free will, even though we're reading in every panel, them having free will and making their own choices and living their own lives. They don't think they have much agency. So like there'll be a situation where something will happen and it'll release pheromones and they'll just all go, they'll react to the pheromones and they'll acknowledge that they're reacting to the pheromones but they'll be doing it without any control. Right. Like uh, the, su- the, the sun gets captured by bees at one point and the bees smother him and, uh, in pollen. And, uh, and, and the boy also, uh, through a rather quirky thing, uh, ingests uh, a worm and, and pieces of a worm. And the worm keeps replicating within him. So he, he gains somewhat uh, like psychic abilities. And so, between all this, he kind of becomes like a, almost like a shaman, but because the bees drop him back off to his colony and he's covered in bee pollen, the dad, as they're having a conversation, is just like, what is going on? I, I just, I want to beat you senseless. Like something about you right now makes me want to beat you. And he does. He just beats him senseless. Um, but like, there's no animus between the son and the dad because it's just what had to happen because they don't have agency. Um, that's what some ants do when they smell bee, bee pollen. So I, I, yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I, I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why I didn't, wasn't drawn to this before, um, but it was it was 
just the right amount of grimy and visceral and organic, but, uh, but, but it did have a narrative. It wasn't like it was just a book for the sake of, of thought experiments. It definitely did have a linear narrative that was enjoyable. And uh, yeah, I thought it was terrific and it makes me hungry to read more DeForge. Scooped them up last month in the previews because there was a bunch offered from Drawn and Quarterly. No, no, I didn't. Um, I guess my understanding is he alternates most of his careers alternated between D and Q and Koyama. Koyama, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm going to definitely seek out more of his work. But I, I wanted to ask you, since you are more familiar with him, would you consider Ant Colony his best work? Um, it was his first long form work. Yeah, yeah. No, I would. I think to say his if you call it his best long form work and it came out after more long form works is to detract from those and they're nothing like and colony i love it i think it's great but his stuff's all over the map um so let's just say yes i think it is his best but that doesn't mean his other ones aren't nearly as good cuz he's he's a true i think he's a genius there's nobody that approaches comics like Michael DeForge. He has a I very clicked it just now. He he why well, was you go. <laughs> he's spending a lot of money there. I know. Right. I I don't think I could do this every week. There you go. Well, uh, I mean no, he, yeah, seriously. It's it's um he's kind of like the David Cronenberg of comics to me. His mm-hmm. he he manipulates organisms in every one of his books. Where like the deer book and in lose, it's just that the body is is very sh- malleable and shifting, and he he likes to get into the 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 whys and the wherefores of a, of organisms, and I I love his stuff, but it's by no means easy reads. I mean, you're gonna have to invest some some thought process in his work. It's not just you know, um, Archie kisses Veronica. It's it's involved stuff, and it's challenging visuals too. I like the visuals. I mean, they're they're more they're they're a little Peter Max and a little uh, uh, yeah. I mean, they're graphic. I mean, gra- graphical, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, blocky. Play, yeah, it plays with shape a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the uh, the progression of shape into into other things. And no, I think he's he's brilliant and so young too. I want to punch him in the face. I know it's a thing. I didn't realize how young he was. Yeah, he's he's wonderful, but um, a very very much an acquired taste. Like I, I think if you subsist on a uh, a diet of books that are rooted in realism, at, at least visually, DeForge is going to be a, a a culture shock for you. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's he speaks a totally different language, but uh, the the learning curve should you embark on it, I think is a very worthwhile one because uh, he reveals things that, uh, like I said, nobody else can do what he does. Yeah, no. Very, very impressed. Yeah. Good for you. Before we get out of here, Jason, just real quick, uh, I know you're probably falling apart. Did you talk on the show at all about uh, X-Men number four? I saw you mention on Facebook that you liked it, but uh, it like a, Mutants, Hickman, Davos. Was there ever ever a more uh, Jason Woody comic book made? No, I mean it was right up my alley for sure. I if it mean, was like Matteo Scalara and it had more Phantom X, maybe. Yeah, exactly right. 
Um, no, it was dope for sure. I, you know, the idea that, uh, that they just like roll up to this big dogs in this room and just like beat them with their words. I just loved it. I loved it. Uh, if you had told me beforehand that I'd be grooving on Magneto and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and apocalypse in suits as talking heads, I would have said, when did Ben to start writing, uh, uh, X Men, but no, but it, it it was great. I really thought it was fantastic. I, I, uh, we were talking on the Slack about this that I think that I'm not surprised because it's Marvel, but I'm disappointed that Marvel is, I think, very quickly diluting the Dawn of X momentum. I think uh, in April there are 14 mutant books, <laughs> and uh, there's more, more even more coming in May, and. Yeah, I know the old argument, like, you don't have to read them all and so forth and so on. And that's true, you don't. But I do think when you start putting out that many books, it's just easier for people to mentally check out. Because they say to themselves, well, I can't afford it or I don't have the time to keep up with everything. So I'm just going to not. And I, that that bums me out. I think in a perfect world, I would just have them have three or four books a month tops yeah. and have them all be awesome and must reads. So that the mutants are back on top of, of everybody's cultural zeitgeist. Um but it is what it is, man. Like, I can't control that. And it's uh, surprising that that wasn't part of Hickman's deal. You know, like I know, it's, I know. it sounds like he got such a like a, a crazy deal on it that like you think part of it would be like only do a few of these, you know, make it special. Yeah, I guess he, it's, it seems more like he has control over what he wants to do. Yeah, and then from there it's, it gets a little expensive. But I I think X Men proper has been awesome. Um, yeah, and I think. Uh, like Daph said, we were going to do a, a Mutant-O-Rama. We'll do that next week. But uh, but no, I thought I thought X-Men number four was the best issue of uh, of the X-Men proper series so far. I do hope that the that there's another Jerry Angulian issue to come still. So like the last thing he drew doesn't end up being just <laughs> Apocalypse at a meeting. Yeah. Like if he should get to get the ball out one last time. Although, I mean, it looked rad. Because you know that guy passed away. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We talked about that. Sorry. Thanks for thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm always playing catch up. The world is falling apart. I got a lot of news to listen to. That's right. One of our buddies, Vander, said something to Dap and I today. He's like, he's like, we, he said, "Oh, you guys have a Patreon Slack?" And then and then he's like, "Oh, sorry. I'm like I'm, I'm like a month or two behind." I'm like, "Bro, I'm like you're like eight months behind if if you don't know about the Patreon Slack." <laughs> I'm familiar with that. You guys got running a deal on Patreon Slack where you can get it for ten dollars now instead of twenty. Look at you. That's, that's right. right. It has been that transition has been a smashing success. So I love, that's incredible. You guys worked that out. I never would have figured that out. <laughs> it was math. It was all me. Way to go, all buddy. Yeah, because yeah. I'm good with the maths. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Hey, once again, thank you for being here with us. We enjoyed having you. If you would like to have more of this. In a different form, come to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit. We're there most of the time. Uh, we also have that thing that Tony mentioned, the Patreon. You can check that out at patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. And my heart's thumping pretty heavy because it always gets that way when Tony Fleece is around. So we got to thank Tony for doing this with us because we love him. Oh, Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. I didn't have anything to fucking well, promote. Just well, I was going to say, since since uh, since your OGN isn't exactly hot off the presses, is there an, any way that they can help make that better? It's I, gonna, I know pre-orders are done, so it's going to re-FOC. 
okay. because the printing is going to take a little while. <laughs> so I will let you guys know when it's going to re-FOC. And uh, uh, listen, I am biased because I made it, but I think it's dope. Like it uh, now, I'm promoting. I feel like I'm going back on what I just said. Uh, but it like I think once people see it and it gets out there, it'll be an easier sell. It's just so hard to sell like a comedy from somebody that draws My Little Pony for a living. You know, it's just like I got a lot of. Uh, I got a lot to climb over to, mm-hmm. in order to get people to look at this thing. So, but once it's out there, I think it'll be a much easier sell. But it would be nice if it got out there and there were at least, uh, you know, enough in the market that people could get it if they wanted it. Totally. Yeah. Oh, but it'll be on Comicsology and Kindle and shit soon. Uh, so if you want to go about it that way, uh, do that. Amazon reviews are good. All that shit. It would really help if you told them the name of it. Uh, the comic book is called Time Shopper. It's by me and the great Christian Meese colors by Brad Simpson uh, from Action Lab Comics. Uh, and it'll be on Comicsology soon. Uh, hopefully, if it comes, I'll let you guys know and maybe you can let people know. Yeah, scoop it up, people. All right. In the meantime, you know what to do. You just say goodnight. I'm glad you did that because um, our eagle, eagle-eared eagle listeners um, knew what that was when I first did it. And it was the, uh, the opening from Rush's YYZ. Rest in peace. As, uh, yes, as played by the, uh, the great Neil Peart, who passed away recently and uh, broke all our hearts. What are you laughing for? I'm not laughing. You just did. <laughs> to me, it's the Goodnight David song. It is, but it's Neil Peart. It's always been Neil Peart. That's what it is. And you will, you, and you will hear that as the lead into this show. I, I, I can spoil it because you already heard it. But, uh, yeah, I had to do something to commemorate. I miss when it was always a different lead-in. Yeah, I do too, but, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, uh, you, you can't bloom without – I don't want to step on anybody's toes. So mm. it's it was fun while it lasted all, what, 400 episodes of it? <laughs> but we, we can't do that no more. So You're too big. I'm waiting for the day when the cease and desist comes from one and then it snowballs and we have to eliminate – 75% of our uh, episodes. Yeah. That's not going to be cool. Or edit them, anyway. So, yes, uh, God bless you, Neil Peart. Thank you for everything. And thank you, Tony. And, wow, is it still Say Goodnight, David? Yes. Uh, I'll do it over again, because that's too long. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> David. Say goodnight. Uh, David. Aw. Damn, all right. Good night. Is somebody playing a slide flute? Like, what is that? That's awesome. What is that? It's Ron Burgundy. That's Jason's breathing. (laughs) (laughs) It's me wheezing, dude. No way. (laughs) (laughs) It's like fucking Dan Aykroyd. All right, so we're out. Of, <laughs> we're out of here. We love you. Go home. Go later. Peace out. Good night. <laughs>